Welcome to the Eat, Slay, Live podcast. And we are the Locksecutioners. We'll be eating lightning and talking thunder and power bombing you right in the ear holes today. You did it. You did it. You did it, Ross. You did it. You've done it. Thank you. You're really growing up over there on the mixer. You know that? Thank you. It's a nice mixer, too. Right? Well, the only thing good about this podcast is the equipment, Frankie. Let's, let's, just, be, let's just be honest. So anything to talk about? A little A10 Pro over there? Can... Well, we have no idea what that means, but... No idea. No. Well, uh, <laughs> fancy looking, though. Thanks, Don Brown. A lot of lights, switches, buttons. Um, Ross, you got anything to talk about before? Not a damn thing, Really? Brother. Not a damn thing. Uh, the only thing I want to say is we is our big it's our big special power special needs circuit tomorrow the kindly savage circuit so no nice I'm extremely excited about that you get shirts in I did I did I need to buy a shirt <laughs> by buy do you mean me give you no one? I really I will buy one what? I mean I think isn't the, is buying a shirt it goes to a good cause right yeah yeah I want to buy a shirt um let, let me I do have something I want to talk about real quick so I went out to Beverly Farms this week so Beverly I'm, sh- I'm shocked you actually do have something to talk about. <laughs> Uh, your sarcasm has been noted. Um, so I went out to Beverly Farms, and that's where 20 of our you know, special needs participants are going to come from is out at Beverly Farms. And tw- 20 of them, and I think there's like six or seven you know, people have gotten a hold of me and wanted like, their son or daughter or whatever to be involved. So I go out there, and they, they bring them all into this room. There's 20 of them surrounding me. And the lady, the lady out there at Beverly Farms, like one of the directors, she's like, okay, you know, this is Todd. He owns the gym. This is where you're going to go and work out Saturday. And, they're, and they, she's like, Todd, you want to say some words? So I start talking. And, dude, they're like, they're going crazy. <laughs> like, uh, and so I finally, like, hold on. And she gave me a list of all their names. So I'm like, all right, uh, here, hold on a second. Everybody, hold on. This is how we're going to do it. So I'm like, all right. Jim Ogden, where you at, Jim? And so Jim's like, over here, over here. I'm like, Jim, do you have something you want to say? A question you like to ask? A concern? What do you got, Jim? And dude, I did that with all 20 of them. And did, it they, could, did they all have something to say? Dude, and I did, it might have been like, my uncle works out. <laughs> or one guy goes, I have really good calves. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> dude, it was, uh, are you a WWE wrestler? <laughs> I did like that one. But it was all over the place. And it was, dude, it, it was I have so really much, good calves. I, I can't wait for this this workout on Saturday. It's what, going, what time is that at? Uh, 11 a.m. So you have your, your Regular original circuit. one. And then we have about 26, 27 participants. Like I said, 20 from, uh, and the age range is going to be like from 17 to I don't know, 50 or something. Who's helping you out on this? Uh, dude, like we put it out there on Pride and we have so many volunteers. Yeah. I have one per participant at each station. It's going to do the workout with them. And then what i ha- having them do is everyone else, there'll probably be 25 to 50 people, probably 50 people here watching, like just around. Mm-hmm. So what I want, and so I want to make it like they're performing. They're on a stage. So I'm going to do this and this. You're going to love this. So I'm going to play, remember the old Bulls theme song from yeah, back in the day? Yeah. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna the have all the participants. Yeah, I'm gonna have all the participants kind of back with the lights off and everybody, all the volunteers, probably like I said, with with the ones who are actually doing the workout, probably fifty to seventy-five people here just watching. Yeah. And so I'm gonna play that little bull. You know that Man, you know that is, bull this is great. You know that bull's no. thing I'm I'm talking about. And uh play that and then like announce them and they're gonna come running out. And everybody I'm gonna have all the the, the volunteers like lined up. Like in like like sort of like a little gauntlet. Are we thing. about to get the song? I'm off gonna your try. Phone? Yeah, see if we yes, can do it. Can we do it, Ross? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
And now, and now <laughs> for your Chicago. So you remember, I was I was the Eastern Illinois women's volleyball public address announcer for one year. So no I have one will ever ex- forget that. I have plenty of experience in this realm, <laughs> Ross. You know that, right? So and then at the end, we'll do a little like like you know I have the shirts, and so we'll do like a little presentation. Like you got to earn the shirt, but obviously yeah. you got to get a shirt. How, how often do you? I don't run know. This? We'll see don't how this yet. one go. I, I think this one's going to be, here's how I've described how this is going to be. It's going to be an amazing shit show is what it's going to be. It's going to be awesome. It is going to be awesome. But, dude, it's going to be all over the place. So it's going to be fun. I cannot, I'm, dude, I cannot tell you how excited I am about it. It's a long time coming. Anyway, I did have something to say. Yes, you did. All right, Ross. Once again, again we have a guest that neither one of us have met before. We, 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 yeah. that's, and, and most of the time, we one of us usually knows our guest, and this is the, the second time we haven't. So a little uh, introduction. Uh, we have Frankie Cambaletta. I say that right? Cambaletta, yeah. That's what I said, Frankie. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Even worse. And he is the owner of Shift Films, the host of Haunted Garage Podcast, and the Lost Boys of Hannibal Podcast. The Lost Boys of Hannibal has won uh, a couple national awards. Ross, has Eastside Live won any awards yet? Do you know of? We're, we're working on awards. Awards and Hall of Fames. We are, but <laughs> we haven't have, got have either got one yet. yet. <laughs> it's our mom's favorite podcast. That's it. That's all you need. Um, and so when we posted your picture and we we said, you know, we kind of we put up uh, logos from your different podcasts and things like that. We had several people get on there like, I love that podcast. And another girl's on there. I'm obsessed with the uh, the Lost Boys uh, podcast, which is kind of cool. How often do you do a show? So Lost Boys of Hannibal is such a different direction for us. That was a, it's more of a true crime avenue. Um, it's not like our, our good friends over at um, Gen Y, over in KC. They, they do more of a true crime show episodic. So they'll just take on different stories. With Lost Boys of Hannibal, we're actually trying to solve what happened to the three boys in 1967. So, so, but let's talk about that. So yeah. what, what this is, is down in Hannibal, Missouri, right? Correct. Um, three boys in 1967. It's 1967. I'm, good. I'm so good. Ron. You are. Do I amaze you with the daily? Yeah. <laughs> Just daily. Luckily, I don't talk Just to you daily. <laughs> but three boys got lost down in Hannibal. Yes. And it was never solved. Nope. Um, there's several different avenues. Like there's because there's a lot of caves down there, right? Yes, caves that's and there's a lot of blasting. Is that- there was so. At the time, I mean, if people people that listen to the show understand that there's a little bit of history background, and we're really good at being staunch on is it the correct history. So we are, you know, today everybody can write a book and self-publish in their basement and mm-hmm. read this and you think it's fact. And that's what we've learned in, in educational institutions, right? We have a book, we read it, it's the fact. And the problem today is that it's not like that. Anybody can pu- publish a book, anybody can say things about things. And so it's very hard to kind of document true crime. So at the time in 1967, they were building 79. This would be the highway that that trucks would go through and it would change the landscape not only in Hannibal in Missouri but the world. It really was as an American uh, an American thing is is the the greater highways and roads where we're, we're we're all muscle car guys, so we're big Route 66 guys. But at this point, we're going to open up the highways. We're going to start seeing more serial killers than we've ever seen, and the reason why is because you can get to and from very fast. <laughs> I didn't really think about it. The more <laughs> highways, the more serial killers you have, Ross. Absolutely, yeah, and it's crazy <laughs> because 67 becomes the most formidable year in our entire history. There's no year like 1967. There's just no, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't match from paranormal side. 
There, there's nothing that even comes close. You can talk about 9-11, you can talk about Jan 6, but 1967 was the weirdest year in American history. Give and us some rundown on that. So you have Mothman, right? So all your big cryptozoology stuff is going to come out of 1969. You have the Patterson video, which is Bigfoot. Okay, that's going to come out in 1969. Then you're going to go across Ohio into West Virginia. You're going to get the, the Mothman epidemic, okay? So this is something that's going to haunt the city of West Virginia. It's going to take down a bridge, and it's going to be a prophetic message from these crazy cryptozoologist. Now, we always have Mothman in our podcast room because we just love the story. I don't believe anything to it. I, I think it was really a, a very large owl or a crane. Um, but people, you know, it was the 60s, guys. There was a lot of drugs. And if you're, on, if you're high and you're on LSD, that you know, fucker's talking to me. But, you know, so. So you gotta you gotta keep that in mind. But at the same time, this is the summer of love. So now you're gonna get into some of the weirdest cars ever built, right? So you have the, the 1967 Chevelle. I own a Chevelle. 1967 Chevelle, it's the weirdest Chevelle there is. It it has parts that no other Chevelle has. So it, it's not even just the paranormal aspect, it's everything that's happening in 1967. And this would give birth to all serial killers. This is when you're starting to see the Manson family. This is Son of Do this is Son of Sam. This is everything's gonna happen right now. You're gonna have um the the big one they actually just um I don't know if they solved that one, but they had the Golden State Killer they just solved. That's 1967. So all this stuff is happening. The Hitchhiker, one of the most famous, it became a movie, one of the most famous serial killers of all time. So this is all happening while the boys are going missing. In one year's time, John Wayne Gacy will be indicted in Waterloo, Iowa, for sodomy to a child. Okay, and that's 1968. So in 1967, he's making trips because his mom lives in Arkansas. So he's making trips from, from Waterloo right through Hannibal into Arkansas. Hmm. So the, 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 so the big thing that happened there was there was a lot of speculation about John Wayne Gacy possibly being responsible for the boy's absence. I did a deep dive into that. I just kind of debunked it. It's just— Now, a little background. So yeah. it's three boys— Two yes. are brothers. How how old are they at the time of the disappearance? Yeah, so it's um, Craig is the oldest. Craig is not a brother. He's one of their friends. It's Craig Dow. He's going to be 14 years old. And then you have Billy and Joey, and they're going to be 13 and 11. Okay, they're going to go missing on Mar uh, May 10th, 1967. And they were last seen uh, now in the woods, sort of, like going in the woods? They were last seen actually on the second level of Lover's Leap, which is the big attraction in, Lost, in, in Hannibal. So you can actually go up. There is a huge house owned by my... My podcast partner's dentist. <laughs> He's like, you see that? I built that with my yeah. molars. <laughs> so, but yeah, so lovers, they're going to be seen there at last time. And the last reported sighting of them was around 545. And then they completely went missing. And for three boys to go missing um, within a blink of an eye, uh, they have two reports, right? You have a janitor that saw them earlier in the day, and then again on Lover's Leap on the second terrace, and then you saw one of their teachers. So the eyewitness testimony there, which eyewitness testimony has become, has gone under a lot of scrutiny as of late. People mm -hmm. really don't remember what they remember. But in a small town like that, you're going to remember who these kids are, especially if you're a teacher, right? Mm -hmm. You know how they dress that day, you know? So it wasn't like today where you could, you know, kids wear different clothes, different shoes every day. I mean, kids were wearing typically the same thing. So they they could identify these kids. And and, and Craig and, and, and Billy, they were big kids. They weren't like, I mean, I think Craig was almost 5'8". So mm -hmm. he was a tall 14-year-old kid. He was a big kid. Um, so... They just go missing. The brother comes into the mix. Um, they all think they got lost in Murphy's cave because the Bramlett boys were the last to see them in a cave. And that was at 4.30. But Murphy's cave sits all the way over here. And Lover's Leap is, I don't know, maybe about a 10-minute walk. 
So they started, all these guys that flew in, all these guys came in. And at one point within 48 hours, there's over 300 people looking for the boys, including 150 National Guard. Which is good and bad, right? Then you have so many people like just mucking up the trails or anything that you might, any uh, evidence you might find. People who don't know what they're looking at. You might say National Guard, but they're not like, they're not people, investigative people. Yeah, I mean, search and rescue, um, actually caving search and rescue is actually having it's the strangest thing. On the same night these boys go missing, um, the caving search and rescue team is actually doing some piloting pro- problems. So they're actually um, doing training while the same time these boys are going missing. So they're going to be the first ones to come in and do this, right? So it's just like this weird coincidence that my question has always been for the last four years is how lost can you get in 15 minutes? Mm-hmm. And then if you put me in a mall it makes sense. I got lost, you know? So it's like, it's like, but you know, when you really think about it, um, if you've ever walked in the woods or do hiking, me and my buddies do hiking every weekend. And I'm glad that, you know, it's the old boy scout rule, right? You always stay with three people. Two is good. One, never, never go hiking on your own. It's just a boy scout rule. So these kids were well. I should write that. I should write that down. You should. Yeah. Your dog does not count. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your one eyed dog. <laughs> with the whole three legs. <laughs> We're just walking in circles at this yeah. point. Well, the tripod. Yeah. <laughs> he leans a little to the left. Right. Yeah. So, so it's a crazy story. And basically, um, I had a f- so a friend, uh, my best friend Jeremy, who hosts um, Haunted Garage with me, knows another ghost hunter by Chris Ketter. As Chris Ketter's called me and said, "Hey, I want to pitch you a story. I think it could be a really good documentary." And I said, "Well, I've walked away from documentaries because you put a lot of money into them. I want to see what kind of traction we get via podcast first. Mm-hmm. And it blew up blew up so much that we've revealed too much that, you know, is a documentary out of the question? No. But at this point, we're going to sell it to a network or something. I think that would be the wise thing to do at this point instead of making the actual thing. How, how many podcasts do you have on this right now? Yeah, so, it's just, you're in the third season? This is the fourth season. Fourth season. That's what I said, Ross. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. this is the fourth season of the podcast, and it's the last season. Um, okay. This is the finale. Uh, there's nothing more we can do. Um, and I think that this year um, is the, we've we've gone down the, the John Wayne Gacy, right? It's just, it's just impossible for him to have done it. it it's just, we can't put him there. I've talked to um, Jason Moran, who's actually running the Cook County cold case. He has a, his own documentary called Legacy, where he's solved, uh, of the eight bodies that were found, six are still unidentified, and they still have them in the Morgan stuff. And two... Unfortunately, back then, the processes of mortuary science were very different, and they boiled the bones, and so now they don't have any... They have the bones, but they don't have any kind of DNA, and Mm -hmm. so that process has changed since then. I I guess there's several things. Like, So one, maybe someone kidnapped them. Yes. Two, they got lost in a cave cave or something, and just people just... It might be a crevice. It Mm -hmm. might be... Because that's might be why they got lost, because they went in some weird little crevice that nobody's found, right? Right. Or maybe even caved in or something. I don't... Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's the and, biggest one right there. Is like A lot of people believe it was a cave-in. They were blasting with Tannerite at the same mm-hmm. time. They could have hopped in one of the holes that they exposed and then hit the Tannerite. Is, and, and, and I don't know what these caves look like, but would you be able to tell there was a little cave-in? Because I mean, it would be fresh. It's a great question. I, I, it's a great question. I'm asking the right person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not a caving expert, but it's a great question because I've asked it and I've asked experts about mm-hmm. that question. The problem with the caves that they would have been in is blue shale. So blue shale is essentially like blowing up a bomb in Afghanistan. You blow it up, it looks exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So you could tell by certain structures, like if it was in Murphy's Cave, you could mm-hmm. definitely tell it's a different type of sediment. With blue shale, man, there's just no knowing if it did collapse or not. They could have been buried in silt. Um, so the popular theory <laughs> right now, and, and what this season tries to go after, is the final theory, which for us, 
I mean, we got so many weird <laughs> people you message. Will, you guys will too. Um, that's the fun part about podcasts is the, is the emails. I definitely we don't answer. We don't, don't look at most of them, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> we don't get a lot. <laughs> we don't look at them I, anyway. I check them once a week. <laughs> yeah. I definitely. Um, so yeah, and, okay. and like with the with the Gacy, I mean, there 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 could be a million Gacy's out there. People that haven't been caught. Sure. So that could be. So what we have to ask, yeah. we have to ask, what do you, mm-hmm. what do you think happened? So there's two things that 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 really gnaw at me. Um, Gacy got so much attention with our case that some idiot wrote a book, once again self-published in a basement, mm-hmm. and got a frenzy going with John Wayne Gacy. And so you have these people that are locked into John Wayne Gacy and where John Wayne Gacy. And that's them. the sexy answer. It is. You know what I'm saying? It is. And Jason Moran, you know his 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 words to God has always been, if I could make John Wayne Gacy responsible for every kid missing, my job would be so fucking easy. Yeah. And it's the truth. I mean. A kid goes missing in 1970s. It's John Wayne Gacy, mm-hmm. and that was great camouflage for other people that you were saying. It was great for road crews. It was great for people. You have to understand. You had, you know, 300 people working in that in that town that were transient, and road crews are all ex-cons. They're not going to yeah. check your background, especially with a, with a company like the one they were working with, which had already five deaths. There wasn't OSHA back then, right? So they were already doing shit on the damn sets and stuff like that. People were going missing and, and, and dying, and and was something coming like talking about that company could you see like something happening to the kids like oh shit we got to cover this up we can't have these three deaths on our company that's what the you know family what i'm saying believes. that's what the family the, the, now ross actual, they actually on their podcast they actually had you had did you have the mother no so the you mom, had you had relatives sister yes, the, the sister um denise hogue and then her daughter candace are on our show um, one of them season. one of them i and i didn't watched the whole show but i saw her she did not look that enthused and well why would you be enthused about it yeah. she didn't act like look like she wanted to be there really well she's um i mean candace is really good with the mic candace has been an avid candace is still in her i mean she's still young and she's still in her 30s and mm-hmm. so she's been avid to help her mom try to solve her brother's disappearance and so candace is um, she's scorned a little bit mm-hmm. from people like John Wingate who write these books and then they basically don't even talk to the family about like half the shit. And in they're, the they're, 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 they're profiting from they're it profiting. too. And that's the one thing that we never did. We never monetized mm-hmm. um, Lost Boys of Hannibal. We've sold some merch, but that is not as good as I'd like it to be. Mm-hmm. All that does is pay for servers. You guys have a podcast. You know how expensive this shit is. <laughs> yeah. Don't get Ross um, started. Don't get Ross it's started. It's a lot of money, man. It's <laughs> yeah. like, so we tried to kind of do that. And then I even backed away from that. I'm like, you know what, man? Like, I just can't profit off of that. I feel weird about mm-hmm. it. Um, with the Gacy thing to kind of hold up that. Uh, yeah, Gacy, let's backtrack on what, what you think. Yeah, so Gacy, um, the thing was is that the book came out, Gacy said, and they had these mediums come out, one I'm really good friends with, and I've talked to Brittany a lot. Brittany's going to be on my show soon, and we've, we're just close. We're Who's really, Brittany? So Brittany Buckwalter is probably the best medium in, in, in Missouri. Um, she was trained by the best, my cousin, actually. Your cousin? Yeah, actually. Cousin. Your cousin's dentist? We didn't even know each other. Your cousin or your cousin's dentist? No. <laughs> Not my cousin. No, my cousin comes from the Bruno family, which is the largest witch family in Salem. So Lori Bruno and her son, Anthony. So she took her first course from Anthony Bruno. who The Brunos, I mean, uh, Lori has found 
missing children with the U.S. Marshals, FBI. I mean, she's she's the real deal, and she never charges. She doesn't mm-hmm. believe in blood money. That's wow. what she calls it. So that's why we know that there's something to it. There's something to that. You're not trying to profit. You're not trying to be on TV. Everything's mostly free, so it's like it's weird, right? So with that, Brittany had a, a different thing. John takes them mm-hmm. into this place, which is basically the concrete company, right, Continental Concrete Company, and they said, oh, well, he killed him here, raped him here, and then um, he buried him right here on this concrete company. Now, the reason why John says that is because John Wingate, the writer of the book, he says that because it's impossible to get there and dig because it's private property. Right. Not for me. The one thing I can do in this industry is I can make people do it. And how you do that is uh, authenticity. You don't ever lie to the police department. You don't ever try to do things without the police department. And you never, ever, 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 ever assume. Assumption is death. Mm -hmm. So if they really thought, and this was weighing on the family very heavily. It was weighing very heavily on the family. They really, really believed that it was John Wayne Gacy and that he had done it in this. The Hogue family believed that? Yeah, we don't know so much about the Dows. They've mm-hmm. never reached out to us, and that's okay because sometimes people grieve differently, and they just kind of want to put it behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, but for this particular case, I called in everybody I possibly could. We got in with an incredible sheriff, Brad Stinson, of Rawls County. We sat down with him and um, Mark Flynn, who was his deputy, and we sat down with them with Denise, and we basically said, this is what we want to do. And then Brad looked at us and he said, you want to dig up where they said the bodies are? And I said, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And he said, why would you want to do that? I said, because the sheriff before you, Sheriff Dinwiddie, he found something. He found some bones, and we have pictures to prove that. And so we found this entire thing about, okay, well, maybe John was onto something. Maybe these mediums are onto something. Maybe they are there. But they went into the locker room of evidence, and nothing was in there. So whoever had come before them kept that evidence which is against the law. Right. Even if you're leaving the sheriff's department, you can't keep evidence. So they had some evidence left, but they didn't have the bones or anything like that. And so they were able to find one of the bones. We sent it off um, to somebody. He, we only had a picture. Uh, he's a PhD from Chicago. He looked at it and he says, that definitely looks human to me. Um, he says, but I'd have to have it in front of me. When Brad heard that, he's like, all right, we're going to do this. And he's like, well, how much, you know, how are we going to do this monetize-wise? It's Rawls County. We can't afford this. I said, I'm going to pay for everything. Mm-hmm. I brought in... Um, Gateway Rescue Dogs. So I brought in Cadaver Dogs first. Jan, incredible. She's been on a couple documentaries, so Gateway Search Dogs. Um, we, we contribute to them every month just because of the work that they're doing with their Cadaver Dogs. So Cadaver Dogs, just, just a little brief little announcement. Cadaver Dogs don't find dead people. They find composition. And I think that's a big common misconception. They're a tool used in the industry. So say you had a tampon or a Band-Aid laying somewhere, they'd pick it up because it's composition technically. It's old blood. It's, it's something. So you have, to be, you have to be wary of it. When you're getting a couple dogs hitting on one area, then it's something. So that was my first real thing. I said, I'm going to bring the dogs in. How we just do it? We don't dig anything up. Let's just bring a cadaver's dog in. If there's a cadaver there, they're going to find it. And it's true because it's only 1967. They couldn't have gone that deep. Even with a washout, she said. Still, <laughs> even with a washout, you're not going to get to that, um, to that level. So I called Jan. Jan's like, yeah, I'll come up. So Brad, we called the Continental Cement Company, and we just basically marked it. We called both the mediums in from his book. So I was really putting this guy to the test. And as a person with two master's degrees, I know what it is to basically do a thesis. Okay? So you have to actually prove now what you're saying. Okay? So I'm taking his book as my, my theoretical documentation. Because he should have proved that when exactly. he wrote it. Exactly. Because what you did do was you brought false hope to not only the community but the actual family that still left. Yeah, because people don't understand is like the Hogue family. and They're, they're, they're hoping that 
they maybe got not you don't like this to happen. Maybe they got kidnapped. Maybe something happened, and suddenly they're going to reappear. You know what I'm saying? Like yes. they're going to they're because the, until something's found, there's always that slim hope that their sons are going to come back to yeah, them. People they, don't realize that. They ran you know away. What I'm saying? They the train. So when you say, "Oh, they're buried there. They're dead there," then I mean, you took their hope away. Yes. You know, or or still hope, but thinking I need to find out. You yeah. know, that went with that closure. Absolutely. I mean, so once we brought the dogs out there, the first day was kind of rough. Um, I just love fucking dogs. That's my problem, too. Mm -hmm. So I'm playing with them, and I probably shouldn't have been, and they're just so damn cute. But, you know, they're looking for a dead body, so mm -hmm. there's kind of something cute to that. It's like, I'm going to help you find a cadaver. <laughs> Look at this fender I just yeah. pulled out. Look at that. It's a femur. <laughs> um, dogs don't talk. They don't talk. Uh, I wish they did. be great. Um, but anyway, so they go out there. They get a slight hit, and then Brad's like, what do you think? I said, well, let me talk to Jan about that. And Jan's like, I'm not totally convinced there's not something here. Let me bring out another dog. So they brought another dog the second day, and this dog hit. He started laying down. So all dogs have different types of – some of them bark, and they go nuts. This one was – this. it's so creepy because like, we filmed everything. And you just see this dog running around this area where the mediums had pointed to from the buck. And this dog just looks right at its owner, and it lays down. Hmm. It's like, oh, fuck. I got chilled. I still get chilled. Yeah, I, see I just that. did too. Yeah, and it's like, holy shit. And then Brad's like, well, now what? Well, now I called Terra. So, so is there a big, let's talk about the area. So there's a big, like, big giant concrete pad here. What are we looking no, at? This no, this is just... forest. So this forest. is forest. And this is a weird area of is, the forest. I was thinking concrete. Is okay. this the concrete company's it's land, the, though? They yes. own the land. They own okay. the land. You can't be on right. there. That's yes. private property, um, which made it really... Well, there's no concrete. They should let him dig. What the hell is the hold up here? Well, that was my thing, right? Yeah. But they I thought we had. A, I thought we were in the middle of a Walmart parking lot or something. You know, like, we found King geez. Richard in a, in a quick trip, and they did actually. They found him in a quick. This is really, he's just sitting there all. He's like King Richard had that final thing, which is probably what you know. He wasn't a good fighter. You know, he just, uh, just swung his arm at people. Uh, so they found his crooked ass body in a, in a quick trip. So. But maybe, yeah. But yeah. in this particular case, they had yeah. been there before. They had dug up before with the sheriff prior. And so. they were just kind of like, we don't want to screw with this anymore. Exactly. Listen. But. And they probably and, and they probably thinking, you're somebody who's just trying to profit and try to be, you know, be a, yeah. like a spectacle of it instead of really just trying to get to the truth. But then the HR department in St. Louis who owns Continental Cement Company called me up and said, hey, we want to do this with you. We want to clear the air. Yeah. We want people to not there you go. land. Yeah. And if you can get the sheriff to come out and say that you're going to dig, um, be great. So this all starts because of Tara Otten. Tara Otten is actually one of the crane operators, and she's on that first dig, and she reached out to us. This is how that all happened. So I'm like, I asked Tara in an interview, I'm like, do you think it's still out there? I said, I think there's something out there. They were pulling shit out of the ground. Um, so we got Tara Otten. Actually, we requested Tara Otten do it with her team. And so the union that works for Scott Cement Company brought out all their equipment, which was kind of really a silver lining for me. I didn't have to pay for that because mm -hmm. you can't bring out private people on their property because the union protects them with injury and stuff. And we dug up a football field. And we found absolutely nothing. What the dog hit on was a razor blade. It was an old knife, an old cast knife that somebody might have cut himself fishing out there. And basically, the blood was still on the knife. <laughs> That's uh, what, talk about that for a second. That's just yeah. amazing. A dog mm -hmm. can do that. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. So it was underneath a tree. It was on the ball root. It was a beautiful <clears throat> cast knife sitting in there. I still have it. Um, and that could have been somebody's. Now, now later, it was all like. Old how, how did you? How did you get to keep that knife? How's so, that not evidence? Chain of custody. So basically, anything you pick up from the dig is is considered chain of custody. So the chain of custody uh, basically goes into bags. 
if it proves that there's nothing there, mm-hmm. that there is no body, there's nothing, it's trash. Gotcha. So, so you can either keep it. So I kept everything just in case. So I still have everything. I have an old fall staff can we dug up, which is pretty cool. And what we, and that's actually ties into some more of your history. Yeah. Um, so how did how did you feel after digging? I mean, after digging that up, like you dig up the football field and there's, you know, like, like you almost feel like a failure. And I could see how you'd feel like a failure, like, oh, we thought we had dug it up. And but but then again, it's also okay, we didn't dig them up. There's still you're saying there's a chance. There's still a chance that there's they could still be alive. Do you see so I'm saying I could see yeah, I, mean, I could see mixed emotions on sure, it. Sure, but uh, you went to all this trouble, but it was very emotional. Mm-hmm. I mean, me and Chris broke down with the family because that would have been their closure, right? Because Denise has fought for this and Denise just retired. And she always tells us, I don't know how much longer I got to go. Mm-hmm. I got to find these kids before anything. Yeah. And I, I think that it was very emotional for us, for us to have captivated it in film. But Frankie, myself, in the third person, isn't that cool? Anyway. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I thought you had a friend, Frankie. I yeah. thought that was the dentist. No, a Frankie, it, it's <laughs> highly emotional because I'm Italian. And I brought out, the, I flew out the medium that actually predicted that this is where they were buried Mm -hmm. basically gave her the iron fire and the area that she pointed to um it's actually in the video i said so the area that you're pointing to right there is called sterile earth you know what sterile earth means you ever seen sterile earth you talking to me or her uh her okay have you guys seen sterile earth Earth looks like pudding Uh okay so when you scoop the dirt up it looks like pudding it's never been disturbed, so there's no crumbles. It's beautiful, fat clay. Like, it feels like Play-Doh. It's sterile earth, which means it's never been disturbed. And so I said, that's sterile earth. A dinosaur didn't even shit there. But that, <laughs> supposedly, is where you predicted where these boys would be. So I was enraged. I'm like, you know, we did all this shit. You've braved false hope. And then we started learning more about that medium, and it was like we started figuring out that John Wingate, who had wrote this book, was really coaxing them to this area because mm-hmm. of private property. And they had actually predicted something totally different. So months go by. We all do this. We're all kind of sad. and like, fuck, but hey, we got some great footage. That's cool for the documentary. Mm-hmm. Whoever's going to buy this shit. Um, but months later, I get a call from Brad Stinson. He's like, hey, he's like, you still friends with those forensic teams? I'm like, it's, they're part of they're part of shift now. It's our forensic team. We actually help other people too. So we've all become friends and they want to do this stuff and they're SIUE. All uh-huh. right. So there you go. So they're, they're Washington university and SIUE um, in um, what's it Carbondale. So really great. Actually two of them, Jesse and Kaylee actually are now with the state uh, architecture. So with um, archeology. span So what that means is anytime you do a dig and it's like Indian burial ground, you have, they have to be there. If you're going to start building something and they find that they have to be out there when you do that because you don't want to do any kind of grave stuff. So I said, why would you need them? He says, we found a skull. I said, what? He's like, we found a skull. I said, where did you find it at? He's like, that's a long story. You need to get here. I said, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll bring one of the forensic persons with me. And, and she, Sarah, who I brought, Bumgarner, who I brought out, um, her and her wife came out and they were just this, <laughs> coolest couple in the world her wife was really into mushroom picking while she was kind of into the skull and archaeology stuff so she was I found there. a mushroom exactly. I found a skull what a great day it was <laughs> she, we were learning all about mushrooms and shit out there and she's trying to like they're licking rocks it's the craziest thing in Ross, the world Ross licks, licks rocks yeah. too so when you lick when you lick a rock it's smooth when you lick bone it's actually porous and it sticks to your tongue so you'll see 
forensic people do this in the actual field. They'll they'll lick it a little bit just to see if it's porous. It's kind of mm-hmm. like pearl if you scratch it on your teeth. It's very interesting. Some of their techniques are very strange. Yeah. But hey, who doesn't want to lick dead <laughs> bones, guys? Yeah. Dogs do it, even your one-eyed one. Um, <laughs> So, but like it was a crazy case, and um, we looked at this bone, and bone turned out to be African American woman who basically died in that forest. They don't know what cause of death is because they only had the top plate of the of the head. But basically, <laughs> Brad tells us a story that a woman was going into uh, into a hospice facility, and they that the kids found this box with a human skull in it, which is against the law to own human body parts. Um, so that's kind of write that down wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I need to know that. <laughs> you can't buy it on eBay. You know, it's like even doctors can't own yeah. shit that's like from a human body. Mm-hmm. Right? It's kind of especially if it's Native American. If it's Native American, that's a felony. You're looking yeah. at like 20 years. Wasn't Native American. It was um, it was unfortunately an African American woman who maybe just died out there, or got killed, maybe a racist crime. You, you don't know. It was we put the we put the date right around 1930s. It happened. Oh wow. So um, there was no real use to, there was no missing body case or any, so we didn't have any kind of um, pursuit to go back out there and dig more up because we really didn't know the last location of it. But yeah, so that's kind of what come out. Admit, so we have really good friends in the sheriff departments around here that kind of reach out to us from time to time, even if it's not with our case, to just say, hey, can we use one of your contacts? That's so, cool. Yeah, and that's when you, that's what you, how you want to do it. You don't want to, I love Sam and Kobe. If you don't know who they are, they're, they're basically huge paranormal YouTubers, but they break into places and they're teaching kids like trespassing, dude. Colby has like five felonies in <laughs> from doing this shit. You don't want to fuck that path, man. Yeah. Don't do that. Like, just call. Now this this the one we're talking about now. This is this is called the Lost Boys of yeah, Hannibal it's a crazy podcast. podcast. Yeah, and it sounds like people love it. And you're on your fourth season. Yeah. Um, now we're gonna do a, we're gonna do a really big rewind with you, Frankie. Sure. Okay, we're really big rewind. Okay, yeah. biggest one in the ESL history. Okay, okay. <laughs> so so where did you grow up, Frankie? Where Miami, did you grow? Miami, up? Florida. Miami, Florida. Yeah. Um, how long did you grow up, raised there, go to high school there? What? Yeah, I, I grew up, uh, raised there, did all my schooling there. I lived there for thirty four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I moved to St. Louis. What did what, what, your parents do there? So my mom, my mom was um, interesting. Uh, my, my just to say this, um, they were Italian. They were from Philadelphia, and they had restaurants, and they helped certain people with money. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, my dad was more of the patriotic Italian. Uh, they all went to like you know World War II and Vietnam and stuff like that. But you know they were really proud American Italians, and he was a chef, and they met at a restaurant. So there you go. Um, <laughs> and uh, so my mom has the best stories in the world. Um, she's such a fascist, but whatever. You know, when you grow up in that type of lifestyle, you yeah. don't trust the government. But um, she's a real character. And then so I had these two different worlds of people, both from Jersey and Philadelphia, living in Miami, which was a big thing back then. A lot of people. All East Coast people, right? Yeah, back then. Yeah. I mean, you grew up with Jewish delis. And, you know, we were friends with all the Jewish because we'd go to their they're, you know, diners and delis in the morning, and then they would close at 3, and then they'd come to our restaurants at night. So huh. it was a wonderful place to live in Florida. Today, I, I don't recognize Miami that much. I watched the, the landscape change so much, and now it's about money and plastic surgery and, you know, just a, a lot of – there's a lot of shit there now. It's, it's just sad how the landscape changed. It was really the drug culture that changed it. Mm-hmm. Going into ca- the Cocaine Cowboys in the 1980s, it would change the landscape forever. Um, but when I grew up, you know, we grew up in the middle of the cocaine cowboys, so the dayland shootings and stuff like that. So my dad moved us actually out to Broward County to get away from it all. Um, so it was an interesting place to live um, when you grow up and you start learning all about that your life and where you lived would 
eventually become true crimes and documentaries. And then you look back and you're like, holy shit, I lived through that. I remember, <laughs> you know, I remember the soccer, uh, the soccer field assassinations because my, my sister played on that field. She played at Miami Lakes Junior High, and that's where they killed two people. Um, but cartels are very direct in who they shoot and kill. They, they have a target, they'll hit the target, and they leave. Yeah. So, you know, it's things like that that you kind of like, I think that's what embedded inside me, like why I liked true crime so much, why I liked, you know, living in a sense. why one of the things I'm against violence, I just don't like it. But at the same time, I think we can learn from it. I think there's there's healing paths toward it. Um, you know, understanding this, the human psyche, uh, why we do what we do, the fight or flight syndromes, that type of stuff. So, so I have a minor in sociology, understanding why people do what they do. That would build me into going into advertising and creating. This is why I liked Kobe Beck's episode because mm-hmm. he was right on target. Right. Nobody else liked direct episode Cody. <laughs> if you're listening, just say no. But Cody's right. I mean, the, the psychology behind why we sell things. Right. You have to understand human behavior. Like you have to understand like what we're doing. And, and I fell in love with trying to trick people. And when people would ask me like, well, what do you do for a living? And I said. Why make people stand in line? And that was that retail message, right? Oh. Like I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. And I want people to stand in line for hours before to get a TV or a phone. Like, I want my advertising to do that. I want my messaging to do that. And then I had this change of heart. I was like, well, I don't know that I'm doing anything that's meaningful. Like, I'm making people spend money they don't have. I'm putting people in debt. And so I decided to completely change my mix and go into more psychology, right? So I got into at very early age, I got into um, user experience and usability design. So understanding why we do what we do on our computers, why we do what we do on our phones. And then as a designer with a visual communications background, I started designing applications. And so that led me to teaching it because I wanted to give back. Now did you come to, were you doing this in Miami? I was still doing it in Miami. Okay. Yeah. So I'm like, because you were there till your age 34. Yeah. Yeah. At that point I'd had two master's degrees. I have an MBA from FIU and I have an MFA from um, Institute of Fine Arts College. So I had a business and visual communications background. Uh, I still wanted to do my PhD, but at that point I wanted to make money at this point. I was sick of being in school and being a Mm -hmm. professional student. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to try these things out. So all along while I'm doing my school, I'm actually working for some of the top advertising agencies around some of the best people that I cherish and love uh, to this day because I've learned so much from them. So I know it's kind of a weird swing. I kind of have like a Forrest Gump life where it's like, oh, <laughs> you did that too? Yeah, there was a time where I was a chef because that's what I came from in the family. When I was going through my master's degree, I was working as a chef with my uncle who had a restaurant at Coral Gables. So it was this crazy life that I've led. Thus far, there's more to it. But um, – Yes, yeah, so from there, I started teaching. I met a really beautiful student. Um, we had this really cool love child together, and then she was from Missouri. And so our marriage didn't work, but we wanted to raise our kid together. We started to co-parent. And this was 10 years ago, so this is like a very new thing for a lot of people is this co-parenting attitude where you, you have to realize that your marriage is over. That's never going to work, but you have this child together. And so how are you going to make and benefit this child's life? Well, you, ha- you do that with love. You do that with showing her that you guys don't hate each other that you guys love each other, it just didn't work out. And so for, to this day, my, my daughter has never known anything different. I just told a dear friend of this who's actually going through something, and he's got a high-profile name in St. Louis. So I'm, I'm telling people that like it, it's, it's totally normal that this happens, and the fact that you guys are wanting to work and co-parent and raise your child together, the only thing was it would put me in Missouri. And so I would leave. <laughs> I would, leave. I would it, well, let's, it would take me out of Florida. Yeah. 
and put me in Missouri. Yeah. But I'm a <laughs> big guy, so I like the cold weather because I'm always hot. So it's like yeah. I was tired of sweating. I was 34 years of sweating. <laughs> like your podcast is eight, years. Yeah, it's, it's 34 <laughs> you, years. Of just, did you stop sweating? <laughs> it just never stopped sweating. Like it's, I just, yeah. since I was a child, yeah. I was always lighter back then too because you're just sweating all the fucking time. Yeah. But eat, like live, eat, slay, live, right? I mean, yeah. I do the first part. I did eat well, <laughs> fucking slay barbecue like crazy. Uh, and I'm going to try to live. I don't know if I keep eating like that. Probably not. But um, so she's in Missouri and yeah. you're like, so I'm, I'm going. Yeah. Does, Find does, a job there or. So I take, I had a small business that I was running um, with her mm -hmm. and we had international business with BlackBerry. So we were running all of South America with BlackBerry at the time. So this is still 2010, 2011. BBM is the only way to communicate in South America. You were a baller if you had a BlackBerry. You're talking about the- 100%. You were a baller if you had a BlackBerry. Yeah. We never had Well, I, I- Sex in the I, city, man. You did? Damn ball. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Does co-parenting mean living together? No. No, okay. No, you don't have to live. We live two and a half hours away. I've- as I've lived in Missouri, I first of all, I'm a city kid, right? So, like, crime doesn't scare me because I've been carrying since I was 16. So it's just like it's part of my life. Now, hold Miami, on. Now, let's, like, let's, let's talk about that. So then you say you don't like violence. Yeah. Then you say you carry. Well, defense is not violence, right? Okay. Well, <laughs> not to me, but it's not my, started it's not it, my like, statement. I, I like that reasoning. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm all about defense, but Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> Where it's like Brazilian jiu-jitsu is like you're going to fuck somebody up in that cage. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, for me, it's more like defensive tactics, you know, being prepared, you know. Gotcha. Um, but, you you know, so grow, growing up, everybody was like, oh, you can't live in the city. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. And I actually lived in South St. Louis, right, on friggin' what used to be called Crackamack. <laughs> um, so Accomack in Nebraska and Oregon, like right in the heart of South City, right off Jefferson. And honestly, we had a really good run, except for the last year. It started getting bad right after Michael Brown, which makes sense. You have a lot of built-up animosity, I think, that when you get into, you know, Martin Luther King, you know, riot is the language of the unheard. It's one of the most strongest and most powerful messages that he ever talked about because now you have a bunch of people that are unheard and they're going to be heard. And so we started seeing a tumultuous buildup within the city. I had a young daughter and I'm like, I don't want her getting caught by a stray. In the city of St. Louis, 50 kids die every year from stray bullets. We don't talk about this. And I like the cartel. They're not good aims, right? Well, they don't ever go to the that's what I'm talking about. The cartel about. Like, had good aim. They, they have good aim. They're targeting. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But yeah. The, These guys, know. The other gangsters are just Like if you have a gun, fly. most times you're going to win if you go to the range. These guys don't can't go to the range with no. a stolen gun. So, mm -hmm. you know, you have the advantage there uh, if you want to go that route. <laughs> it's crazy scary. But we had a, a really bad shooting right behind my house. My daughter was there, and, and that was it for me. That was the last straw for mm -hmm. me. So we died in our freaking back alley, a young kid, young black kid that was special needs. He, mm -hmm. he just recognized that the person in the Camaro that these guys stole was not their Camaro. So he was just like, hey, that's not your Camaro. Yeah. But he's special needs. He didn't. He, does, he he was trying to say the yeah. do the right thing, but not yeah. knowing that the, the the repercussions that could come from. Yeah, that. they shot yeah. him up pretty good, and uh, you know, Kim Gardner, good job. Um, you know, those guys are walking around. So you know, at the end of the day, like I was just <laughs> done with St. Louis altogether. I was I was at that point I was sick to my stomach that I had never seen so much hate because I'd grown up in grew up in Miami. I, I was the I was the minority. You want to talk to a minority that's white? It's me. I grew up in Spanish and black neighborhoods. That's my entire life. Pitbull, okay, grew up Ernesto, grew up Hernandez, grew up through two miles from me in Mango Hill. Okay, Gloria Stefan grew up on the, the blocks three miles south of me. So we grew up in a city where if you, lis if you listen to Pitbull's first album, it's all about gangster shit. Mm -hmm. He doesn't make it. And then Flo Rider talks to him and he says, hey, 
change your music up. No one wants to hear that shit. Make it fun. And boom, he blew up. And so it's those types of cultures that we had because we were done fighting. We were done with, you know, um, Boys in the Hood. We were done with, you know, New Jack City. We just wanted to love everybody. And so I think basketball, I think you guys were talking to Steve, uh, what's his name? Porter. Porter. Yeah, Steve Porter. The thing that, like, I loved about that was, like, basketball is a culture on its own. I mean, it's, it's where you – I think soccer is awesome. I think it was great. I went to the first game. It was great. But basketball would unite St. Louis like that. I, and if, I agree. Yeah. It would, it would, it's the one thing that happened in Bicentennial Park in Miami when I saw – because, you know, Cubans and blacks didn't always get along. There was Opalaka Hialeah. So you grow up in that shit. You know, it's like there's, you know, Cubans keep their, their houses a certain way. They're connected somehow. Then you have, you know, the blacks of Opalaka that are they're constantly in fight. They build Miami Arena for the Miami Heat and within five or ten years – Dude, the, blacks, whites, yeah. Hispanics you, are all sitting together, and you really uh, think about that. That is that is a great point. Like, soccer is not going to unite the city. No. It's all it's a city <clears> of white. Soccer's cool, yeah. Soccer's cool, and, and the and the fans are cool. They're crazy. They do cool things. Yeah, a, an a, an NBA basketball team in St. Louis would unite the city. It would, and I'm a huge basketball fan. And I'm not just saying that. That's just that just like clicked yeah. when you said that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a huge part of my life. I mean, my 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 little brother Joey, who's actually my cousin, but we grew up as brothers. Uh, he was a senior writer for the Miami Heat for a long time, and we saw that. I mean, yeah, LeBron makes some political bullshit statements, but whatever. Sometimes you have to do that when you're on that platform. At the end of the day, LeBron's a good guy. They're all good guys. They're all trying to do what they can possibly do with, with the money they're given. I mean, their life has changed from the kid from Ohio to <laughs> being a billionaire. We, we, did, we just talked about that on one of our other podcasts, about how like people, they put down these 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 stars or whatever goats but I, I was when i was when you know say well bronze in the nba at like 23 or what, what he came in like I don't know, 18 18 yeah, at 18 i was the biggest douchebag on the planet yeah. and i had no money yeah good give me a few million dollars and look at you know what i'm saying and yeah. and all this fame but like those guys keep it together pretty freaking good to be from the backgrounds a lot of the hood yeah. wherever they came from well, and you just Jordan throw up millions of dollars and we're still yeah. teenagers I, they're keeping it together pretty damn good, if you ask me. Well, if you look at the, the, that, gets to a really good point too. When you look at, um, not to derail, but that's kind of like my life. I mean, I worked in sports advertising for a long time. I worked for the Miami Dolphins, and that's what I did in advertising. I did all sports advertising. Mm -hmm. I couldn't play it, but I wanted to be a part of it, um, and that's why this this conversation kind of led there. But you know, when you look at um, Michael Jordan's family, when you look at Tiger Woods, what's the one key component that he had that others didn't? A father. Yeah. Look at how they handle the game. Michael Jordan was always humble. Why? Because he didn't make his high school team. He remembered that. Emmett Smith, same way. Didn't make his high school team. He would never play in the NFL. So there, there's things that he says that really pisses me off. First of all, you never say you're the best because you can learn no more. Right. You can never learn anymore. Mm, love so it. that's the you know one it's funny. It's funny as I was when I was doing research. I just want to stop there. When I was doing research on you, I found I think it was you said your favorite quote. Let people tell you you are great. Don't decide that on your own. Yes. Boom, Ross. Boom. Yeah. No, it's the truth. I mean, I was taught that by my mentor because mm -hmm. I asked him when I was in my master's degree. I was like, how do you know you're good? And he's like, when you stop asking that fucking question and people tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And he was a crazy Cuban. And uh, I, I, I lost him, and he was the biggest light in my life at that point. So mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's those things you take away in your life, and you try to apply that somewhere else. But I, I think that there's this weird thing in St. Louis. Like, I've just never known a city that's so fucking divided like yeah. and it's it's so on the nose it's like wow i i went to the first soccer game and it's beautiful and i'm good friends with one of the director of operations there and he did an incredible job and i was just man 
fucking amazing experience. Bringing in the local food, all the thing that Ballpark Village promised, and they fucked that up. And so this this stadium comes in, and they bring in all the local eats. They got farm truck there. They got the taqueria. They got you know um, ices is there. Like all the stuff that you love about the city, mm-hmm. the food is in that fucking stadium. Yeah. The problem, the only people selling it to you are black. It's the only time you'll see black people. They're selling it to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We haven't changed the culture, man. Yeah. And it's $300 a game. <laughs> right? Is it really? Yeah. It's fucking ridiculous. And, and even white people are complaining about that, you know? And I'm not trying to make this like a $300 whole, a game. It's ridiculous. Mm. Now, I get that they only play, it's very footballish, right? They only play 17 games at home. They got to pay for that stadium. Yeah. They have investors like, you know, somebody I fucking can't stand. Um, <laughs> I think Jim Cavanaugh's a piece of shit. But whatever. We can go about that another day. Um, I work for the guy, so he's just a fucking such a prophet of crap. But anyway, so the thing is that like when you look at what we could be in this city, and we have all these fucking stadiums, uh, I think Battlehawks is a big move for us. I think that's another way of uniting white and black people. But you're not going to unite black and white people without a sport. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen. You have to give them a level playing field. We can both agree that Michael Jordan's a badass. We can both agree that regardless of LeBron's like political antics and his goat shit, he is an amazing player to watch. I've seen him play. Um, he is awesome. You know, he was with the Miami Heat. So you have these weird loves for people. And I think that what we're trying to do um, recently when we looked at our podcast, and it was this thing that I sold you before the show, it's like, oh, you're another white kid with a podcast. And that's a kind of a true statement. Everybody who just wants a podcast, they want to talk about things. So I think what your show does great is that you always change it up. You're always talking to somebody totally different. That's not even in your, your arena or atmosphere. And so important. Um, and we did that recently with um, the Laid Back Lounge over here. He started a podcast. Yeah, I was I listening to that one. Yeah, and so me and Travis Brown became really good friends. And we're going to do a podcast together because we want to see what that looks like. But we're going to do it with our own spin. We're going to do Maniac Cop, right? That's going to be our first episode. We're going to talk about a horror movie, but we're also going to talk about the deeper message behind that. What is Maniac Cop really about? Well, it's about the NYPD and how terribly corrupt they were. And this guy Serpico kind of rises from the ashes in there and turns NYPD around. We talk about, you know, stop and frisk. We talk about the broken window theory. And you have a white person and a black person. You're hearing that level ground again. So if you can't do it with sports... You can definitely do it with having a courageous conversation, which is mm-hmm. the name of the podcast. Like that. Like courageous having, conversation? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that's a great That's name. great. Yeah. So it's like something that's going to probably pop up, I would think, uh, you know, early fall or late summer. And we just got to, we want to really plan that show and make sure that we're on point. But I think that you do all these things, but you also have to have that break. You can't always just be doing serious shit, man. And that's what brings us to the Haunted Garage. That's just a fun mm-hmm. podcast looking for haunted transportation. And <laughs> it's a totally different part of my life. It's, it's, and you know, they say, they say, we, and this is something we don't do, but they say when you have a podcast, you should really have a niche. Now, <laughs> Haunted Automotive is really a niche. It's, it's a, a, niche, it's a very specific, it's, probably untouched niche. It's so untapped um, <laughs> that, that people are like, because it's funny to us because I think that, like, the entire, when you start seeing all our brands come to life, we always use competition yellow, and we use black. We're, we're drag car guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have, one of the guys on our team actually does drag week. He did really good last year. You're about cars drag yeah. week. Okay. Yeah, right here. I- <laughs> yeah, the, the last place on the tour was here this year, so that was pretty cool right at Dub Dub T's Raceway. Um, but when you look at that type of stuff, I think that's the other thing that unites people. 
right? Hispanics, whites, blacks, we can all talk about cars. Now, I hate when they put fucking 24-inch rims on a Chevelle. And I can have that, you know, and they they get it. They're like, all right. But when you see them gap on on the strip with a freaking 24-inch rim, I'm in fucking press. (laughs) I never would have thought a rubber band wheel would have done that. But um, you can see it. You can see see it on the track. And I think when you – I think that's that beautiful language that you have with people. Yeah, you're never going to understand their culture. You're never going to understand, you know, slavery. You're never going to understand. You're just not. You can Mm -hmm. look at – my family doesn't have any history of slavery, but it doesn't matter. What matters is that theirs does. And I think that's the problem. Is that we keep well? I'm, I'm never a part of that. Yeah, and I think that's a bigger message, right? The bigger message is that you're 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 having heart. You're being a human. You're understanding. And I think I made a lot of mistakes early on, so I don't. I look at now what we're trying to do is just fun, right? So if it's cars, but you can have dialogue, you can have conversations with people. And I think um, uh, was it Steve Porter said something really important is that listening is so important. That is, I loved his, his three things that he said because he's so right. Like mm-hmm. you're going to learn more from listening a hundred times. So yeah, I mean, uh, so anyway, Haunted Garage, crazy fucking story how that all happened. But everything we do is based on racing. So shift, shift films, Haunted Garage, graveyard shift, like everything yeah. comes back to the car, uh, which you can build with your own two hands. Not anymore. The, the new cars, fuck yeah. that shit. I, I can't even look at it. <laughs> what is that? You seem to be, I mean, you're well connected in the city, it seems. I, I, um, I'm getting better at it. Before, I mean, I've I've had to say a, I'm sorry a bunch too, because I I think everybody got really political at some point, and they used Facebook as a medium, and that's a bad avenue. It's bad, man. Like, because there's no tonality in words that are typed. You, if you talk to me, most of the time I'm being sarcastic. So when I would say something pro-Trump, I was being sarcastic. And people are like, you're a Trump supporter, racist, oh, MAGA, oh, fucking, what? That's a great, that's a great monster voice you <laughs> yeah, have. Yeah. No one here in the city. It's like crazy. What do you think the possibility of St. Louis getting an NBA team is? Have you, have, have you heard it? I haven't even heard anything. I mean, it's always a little speculation that St. Louis is a possibility mm-hmm. for, but. I, I think that, like, when you saw Kroenke give away – First of all, biggest mistake they made was not taking Kroenke to court because seven hundred fifty million was a drop in the bucket. They could have gotten billions from mm, that guy. Yeah, but once again, they got house rich. You know, it's like, oh shit, seven hundred fifty million, we'll take it. Yeah, where it was like, no, bro, take that guy to court, and you would have got the, the law firm that was representing okay the city of St. Louis was incredible. They were incredible, and yes, of course, as a good law firm, they're like, well, there's a settlement idea, and they're like, yeah, okay. $750 million, what can you do with that? Hmm. SLU, uh, Fontbonne, um, all these universities and stuff that, that have or need basketball teams, right? March Madness here is crazy. And we're not going to even think about it. Well, we just got a soccer stadium. I'm like, that's great for the rich white people. Yeah. But what are we going to do for the rest of St. Louis? And it really is. And I, and I hate to say that, but like – and I know I'm going to get fucking probably talk back or whatever or lashing. But my thing is, like, I was there and I literally was with a group and I'm scanning the audience. And I'm like, wow, bro, this reminds me of a Cardinals game. Yeah. <laughs> we got our black boys in neon green and they're selling us shit. I mean, yeah. just on Facebook. I mean, yeah. I saw all my friends on Facebook who were posting that, yeah. the ones that were there. They yeah. got money. Yeah. They're they, white. They do. And it's like it's, it's, it's great because it does two things, right? There's equity in that. Right, that you're gonna have people with money in the city. Great, that helps do what? 
right? So that's going to bring more people into the city. But the minute the game is over, they all hopped. <laughs> they all walked to the metro station because they didn't want to park in the city because they were afraid <laughs> cars were going to get broken. Headed I back. mean, when the armory opened, 21 cars got jacked, 40 pistols were stolen. Did you hear about that? <laughs> no. <laughs> So it's like, we're not stupid, motherfucker. Are you going to get a bunch of rich white people with their big Connie trucks coming out here? What's going to be in that truck? I'm going to break your window. I'm going to go right to your glove box, and I'm going to grab your fucking gun. Right? So 21 firearms were stolen right when the armory opened. And I think that there was this buzz about, like, well, they're going to get them at the fucking soccer stadium. So everybody was parking at the Cortex and taking the metro train down. It was fucking hilarious. It's like, you know what, dude? Like, you can't even get that parking. To, to You know? So I think we need to get to a point where, but then there's the flip side of that, right? St. Louis does need police presence. St. Louis does need to enforce law. Yeah. And we just can't do that with the people, the jokers in there. Yeah. It's it's impossible. Like, Kim Gardner is, is, is a fraud. She's a scam. She's a scam. Like, how is this person in power? Um, you know, I'm not, I don't live in the city. I live over here on this side of the river. But yeah. everything you, you see going on over there, you read about, yeah. you see, it's... She, that's a she's a scam. Yeah, well, walk around right. the walk around the soccer stadium. You're not seeing Metropolitan. I didn't see one Metropolitan Police Department. Fuck. There's Blackwater in there, so they got private security. Okay, so old Blackwater guys, so old Special Forces have their own units now, like Mercs. They probably work out here. I don't know. They're, they're big into the crossway. These guys are animal looking. It's fucking scary, which is great because it's intimidating. Nobody fucks around there. The pri- they price people out, which once again keeps the crime low. But what does it say? Is is the pro- the messaging is mm, it's kind of. Like, oh, I can't take my kids. I guess, you know, I guess black kids can't play soccer because we can't afford to even watch it. Because if you go to one of those games, I guarantee a kid will get hooked. Mm-hmm. It's fucking fun to watch. Golf is not fun. I've actually been to an event. I'm just going to say that real quick. So most most events, if you don't know the sport and you go, it's like, oh, I want to play this. Golf? Nope. Yeah. I love golf. Like, not <laughs> I, fun I, to watch. I went to a major a few years back. I won't go to another golf tournament. Yeah. <laughs> really? Cool. I thought you were going to say it's fun. No. 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 I mean, <laughs> I, we... It wasn't that fun. But as far as NBA, that your question, sorry, I kind of circled around it, but I think the most important thing that you could do um, is get people to get on that page and be like, what is it feasibility? What could we do to do that? Could we get a minor league team here? Could we get an international team? Here? Could we do something? Can we get like teams like the Miami Heat and then Mavericks to play here? Can we do that a couple times a year mm-hmm. and just get people, at least if we're showing that we could do 12 or 16 games in St. Louis. All right, we don't have an NBA team, but let's start small. Let's see, right, let's do a test market for Christ's sake. Mm-hmm. I was wrong about soccer. Soccer was packed, dude. It was fucking sold out. It was badass. There was a great energy there. Definitely going to be haunted about 30 years from now. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the suburb of St. Louis is a great soccer. It's- yeah, great. I mean, got Scott Gallagher. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's huge. Yeah, they're huge. I mean, like SLU has multiple championships in, in soccer, college league, collegiate league. Um, we have a kid that that's on our team. There's a 15 year old that plays on our team. Like, how cool on is the St. Louis City team? Yes, there's hmm. a 15 and a 17 year old. That's fucking nuts. Like, yeah. oh my god, LeBron. Anyway, so so you, but, you think start small? Start small. Yeah. Yeah, let's stop spending money, man. Let's use the resources that we do have. Uh, there's a lot of great influence in here. I think we need to stop with the the black white like racist on both sides. It really fucking is. Um, and I think we need to come together and be like, hey, we all enjoy this. Like, let's talk about that. Yeah, you know, we're not going to change our past, but hey, can we change the future? That'd be great. We start there. So I think that if you if you start small, you talk to the right people. You know, like the you know Jim from WWT played soccer. That's his big thing that he puts on every one of his business cards. So, you know, great. Right on your laurels. But if he played basketball, would it be different? 
You know what I'm saying? So I think that that that's huge. I saw it happen. I saw Bicentennial Park go from crackland to the coolest place in Miami. That you can't even afford a condo there now. Okay, <laughs> like it can happen, and you can you can bring people. It inspires so much too. It inspires young kids to want to play. It inspires young kids to want to be like part of the sport. All right, I'm never gonna what Charles Barkley made that great comment. Fifty five people play in the NBA. It's a very good, strong fucking message to other people, but it doesn't say that how many people work for the NBA. So maybe you won't be a player, but maybe you can be in management and in office and all that stuff. And that's the thing that these soccer stadiums need to do. It's the thing that the, the, the Cardinals need to do. You start bringing these inner city kids in and showing them the management ropes and showing them how to intern for you know six weeks or something about the business side of the sport, which is where all the money is made. Yeah, you know, and it, 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 it you make more money than then three or seven years you're going to play. You can make money forever. So I think that there's, there's a great messaging there, and I just think that the communication needs to be start dwelling on shit that we did that was wrong and start building it better for the future. we got to stop with living in the past, right? Keep, keep the history relevant to the times. We're, we're different now, you know? And I think we can move that past. Hopefully if we make millions of dollars on TV or something, you know, we can start being one of those influencers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But yeah. that's the message. We're, we're, we're a few thousand dollars in the hole at this point, but well yeah. on our well on our way. I, I love the point because not enough people are talking about what are what are the things that we can do to bring us together. Yeah. Well, well, we're all about bitching and problems. We're not about solutions, mm -hmm. and that's where I change. I'm about solutions. We can have the argument and we can have the conversation. We don't need to be constantly told that we're never going to be or understand anything because of the skin color. And that's when I'm talking about reverse racism. It's like, well, then you're not even giving us a chance. We are, we are a double standard at this point. So how do we change it? My, my family was Italian immigrants, so you can't get me there. Okay? If anything, we were slaves because we were owned by Tunzani and the Moors. Why? Because I did my DNA, found out. We were all gladiators, which were all built like H's. But that, you know, at the same time, when you, when you look at the things that we dwell on, for what? What are you dwelling on it for? Do you, do you want to check? Do you want money? Like, or what can we do with it? It's all about having proper people in the electoral candidates. Like, you know, Tashara Jones, I thought that she would have been a great pick. But what has she really done? You made the city more dangerous. You got these aldermen in St. Louis that don't do shit. Like, and they got all re-voted in again. How, how is this guy an alderman again? You know what I'm saying? So it's, We can it's talk weird. about elections until the... <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't want to get too political, yeah. but what I'm saying is, like, I think that it's right there. It's in front mm -hmm. of you. I think that you need to stop talking about the past and how we can make our future better. And I think it is in basketball. I, I, it's a great. But I, think, but, I, but I think the powers that be that could probably, a lot of them that could do that change want everyone divided. Yeah. Why are you oh, dwelling on the problem so much? Yeah. Well, Why? exactly what he said. Yeah. There's more money and equity mm -hmm. in that. Yep. In the victim card. Mm -hmm. Play um, the victim card. Let's change, uh, let's change directions, as Ross likes to say. Let's pivot. Everybody okay. at home, take a shot. <laughs> Might have um, to edit this episode. No. What's that? <laughs> no. so, uh, <laughs> so I guess now what I found fascinating that we've done, and, and this put me going down a, a rabbit hole, is with the, your limp, your, uh, your, your documentary about the, uh, one of the limp daughters. Yes. Now, I don't, do you know much about like, you know, the limp mansion and that family or anything? The limp mansion is... Yeah. That's, well, I mean, they, they started out in the beer industry here. They're before Anheuser-Busch, mm -hmm. I think, and they fall staff 
Yes. And was that, their that, big one. that was the can you found too, which was, yes. 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 It was owned by Greasy Dig at that point, but yes, it was a Falstaff beer, which was a limp beer, which yes. was Billy, Billy Jr.'s beer. Just so real quick. So the limp family, they, they had the, the Falstaff there and then and they were incredibly successful. Mm-hmm. Prohibition, uh, hit, and they didn't, they didn't really, they were kind of like blockbuster or whatever. They didn't really make the changes they should have made, done the things they should have done yeah. during it. And so they just kind of downward spiral. But what, what it is is the, the limp deaths, the limp suicides, the yeah. limp maybe murders, who knows. But yeah. one of the sons died fairly early age, right? How old was he? Yeah, Frederick Limp died at 28 years old in Pasadena, California. So this is when this sort of limp curse, the limp thing sort of... Stephen Walker, who's actually somebody that published his own book, actually has a great book. Um, it's actually the first place you start with Lemp. It'll give you the basic synopsis of that. And if you want to dive deeper into that rabbit hole you're talking about, then you take it your your step. But Stephen Walker, I, I side with Stephen Walker on that. I think that was the pivot point. I think that was something that when you have uh, a, a young child, now the, the history is wrong. I've, I've heard it now multiple times on some newer people that are doing some Lemp stuff. Mm-hmm. Frederick was not the future of the company. I mean, there's a newspaper article you can literally hear from who's going to take over. It was always going to be Billy. Mm-hmm. It was always going to be Billy. Uh, Frederick was going to lend his creative hand, um, but he couldn't. He was sick. He had a he had a very bad congestive heart failure. Um, but he was was he sort of the favorite child or something? It kind of the things I've read kind of made it seem yeah. like that with the dad. It's a it's a good assumption. But then again, when you're the sickly one, you get the most attention. Maybe it doesn't really make you the the favorite. Of but of course, yeah, that's a fucking great point. I mean, mm-hmm. you're always gonna the kid that's always like you know either has a drug addiction or the kid that always has like a sickness. You're always gonna favor that one more because your other kids are fine. Mm-hmm. They don't have this type of life. So I think there's a lot to that. I think that he was the sickly kid. He was a brilliant guy. He has a mm-hmm. master's degree in mechanical engineering from University of Washington University. Um, he was basically really good with mechanical stuff. He loved tinkering with stuff. I think that he was going to do stuff for the company, but maybe he would have made a different beer. Maybe he would have looked at going into California, Pasadena, right? You're in the land of oranges. I think maybe he was going to start doing something like a shock top, you know, something, one mm-hmm. of our favorite beers here, like Zwickle, where you serve it with an orange. I, I think that maybe he was doing that out there, but he w- had no plans of moving back to St. Louis. So mm-hmm. to, to say that you were going to run the brewery and not be in the headquarters, I think that's false. I think I don't have anything i actually went to pasadena to see where he died um he wasn't he didn't die in la that's in a lot of books he didn't die in la county because I, I pulled all the records and his pedestrian's not there he actually is near disney world where he died out in pasadena so um billy does take over at that point but frederick does die and that's a huge thing for william lemp senior but that's, then, that's the dad that's, that's the, the dad yes. that's the upper he, that's the first suicide right? and it said he kind of like would just come like he just sort of lost it seemed like all motivation yeah. and just will to live sort of yeah Yeah. well yeah and you could follow it up with the fact that where the placement is of frederick um so you have the placement of frederick in the mausoleum is at the level of william's heart Mm -hmm. so there is showing a very interesting perspective it's on the left side and it's right in the center where his heart would have been so he's the first one in the mausoleum is frederick is on the left side and it's a very that that for me tells you yes there was favoritism there with him of course um but then he does kill himself in 1904 but you have to then 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 the dad. Yes. No, the, the dad kills himself. The dad kills yes. himself three, how, how, how three many, years later. Three years later. He builds a... And, and tell, that wasn't that, was that in his office, his bedroom? I can't remember. Bedroom. In upstairs. his bedroom. Yes. Yeah, the limp mansion. Yes. So the yes. staircase wouldn't have been there. There would have been an elevator. Mm-hmm. Um, they put an elevator in because back then um, families lived together. Hispanics still do this, but a lot of immigrant families did this. They put the, the grandparents on the third floor. 
the middle, and then the the kids are usually second, and then the the business and all that stuff is on on the first floor. So they would have had an elevator in the house, and so he basically takes that up with people home, goes into the bedroom, which you can stay in. Um, We definitely have a lot of paranormal stuff in that room. I mean, it's not even the lamps, it's something else, but, you know, he does take his life there. But you have to understand, too, his best friend dies in 1904, too, and his best friend, of course, is Frederick Pabst. So the Pabst and Lemp beer are the first dynasty family. So Hilda Lemp marries Gustav Pabst, so before Anheuser and Busch. That was actually the big, big call to reason. And Hilda actually gets out of St. Louis, and she makes it. She's really the only real normal one of the family, I would say. She mm-hmm. had the kids. She had the family. She lived good life. Started. She's really the only lamps we have left are from that Paps line, really. So then she, so then the, the dad kills himself. He kills himself in 1904. And, so, and then, then we have the mom. No. Well, yeah, the mom dies of cancer in 1906 in the house. And there was in the house. Nothing, but there was nothing suspicious about no, her. No, no, no. She had stomach cancer. And, gotcha. Uh, this is the first time we see Elsa really loving her mom. And I this think. is the daughter. This is the daughter that mm-hmm. we would do our story on. So yes. Elsa Lemp is the baby of the family. Mm-hmm. The baby's son is Edwin Lemp. And then there's Hilda. So those three are kind of like the real tight ones, whereas the first couple kids, right, Billy and Annie and Lewis and Charles are all really close, right? So if you have a big family, there's this huge gap between the families, right? So she's born in um, 1880, uh, 1883, and um, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's right, 1883, and then um, Edwin is born in 1880. So they're three years apart. Okay, and, and Edwin is, is really the, the story that we want to tell is kind of almost through the lens of Edwin because this is a person that would see his entire family go from horse and carriage, build an empire, and then be nothing by the time he dies. But he would see a man land on the moon. So imagine coming into the world on horse and carriage and then dying hmm. in 1970. Isn't that a crazy yeah, life? Yeah. You saw somebody land on the fucking moon <laughs> and you're sitting there in a carriage cleaning <laughs> shit up because you got a fucking wooden wheel out so it's like it's just weird that like his life was very transient right like he comes Mm -hmm. into the industrial revolution like crazy yeah um so yes elsa would kill herself in 1920 she's the she's the next she's the next to kill herself so she killed she killed so we got allegedly so the 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 one son dies he's sickly the then the dad kills himself yes the mom dies of stomach cancer yes and then elsa she kills herself yes she she doesn't do it in the house correct so at this point there's only two deaths in the family there's the, the husband and the wife which was very common and the son well but later so so elsa kills herself central west end 13 horton's place two years later uh billy lemp will take his life in the house he'll be on the first level when you walk right in it to the left that's where his office was he looks out the window he opens up his shirt and And he shoots himself in the heart correct now there there is some there's some suspicion with that one a little bit yeah there's yeah. a lot of suspicion. He didn't he leave a note, and it didn't. Wasn't he the one that left a note? It's like they may try to blame somebody else, but it was me. It was some. I didn't quite get that right, but that was basically yeah. what it said. That it, was they his may older think, brother. They may think, oh, that was his old. Okay, sorry about oh, yeah. that. So, so Billy Limp shoots himself in the heart. Yes, but the problem with Billy's is he has two um, forensic reports. He has two death certificates. Didn't he sh- like would have been shot with the opposite hand? Like he was left-handed, but it was so- that was Elsa's okay. problem. Okay, jeez, I'm, I'm I'm all over the place with these. See, Russ, it's just these deaths are all over the so, place. Actually, Billy has um, the first um, coroner's report states that he shot himself twice in the heart. <laughs> wow. Exactly. Should have got, got the cartel to do it for yeah, him. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's been my face for seven years. Yeah. Like, what? Um, <laughs> but it actually, the second one redacted that and said it was a muzzle burn, which, mm-hmm. okay, I can have that. Um, his son finds him dying. 
Okay, so this is where that weird thing happens. So you have uh, William Lemp III, who was actually still working at the brewery. Even though Prohibition had happened, they still mm-hmm. had you know ice houses. They still had bottling. They still had a bunch of shit going mm-hmm. on. So he comes running. And even though that ISO, so International Shoe Company, buys the Lemp Millie, they didn't buy all of it. That's another common misconception, right? Lemp still owned part of the brewery um, where they were still doing some facilities and faculties. They still had their office at the actual Lemp, Lemp Mansion. Um, so then you have... Uh, Billy Jr. comes in. So Billy the Third comes in and says, looks at his dad and everybody's standing there trying to help him. And he says, we knew this would happen. You knew this would happen. But we did nothing. Mm-hmm. And he never explained what the fuck that meant. Like, was... That he, he was involved in something suspicious where somebody might do it to him. Or was he saying, dad, we knew he had mental problems and he was going to do it. So I yes. don't know what he meant by it. Exactly. So, so the Lemps were involved with Egan's Rats. That is that is known. That is, I don't know what that is. Yeah. So Egan's Rats were one of the toughest and most dangerous Irish mafias in St. Louis. They lived in the Kerry Patch. Egan's Rats. Egan's Rats. There's a book on it, too. Um, I've tried to reach out to the author a couple times. He just, I don't think he's interested. But mm. in that book, he mentions Lemp by name. And we actually found the documents that he mentioned. So it's called Egan's Rats. You can rent it. Oh, you can actually check it out at the library. It's one of the most fascinating books about Irish mafia in St. Louis. Um, and these were the guys like Snake McKinney. He would become a state senator for Missouri. And he was very stuffing the ballots and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And they would, help, they would help the Lemp boys push Bush out of Southside because that's Lemp territory. Um, so it was a really crazy book. But Charles, Edwin, Lewis, they were all involved with the Egan's Rats. Now, whether that transpired into 1922 and whether Billy had debts that he couldn't pay, his death was kind of strange. He was mm-hmm. just sitting there having a conversation, and they were ordering something. And then when they came back, he was dead. But, I mean, I shooting yourself in the heart just seems like a strange place to do it. It is, but it's actually pretty common. If yeah. you're van- if you have if you're if you're vain and mm-hmm. kind of narcissistic, which <laughs> Billy was, if you read a lot of his testimony from yeah. his divorce, he's definitely a guy that looked in the mirror a lot. Gotcha. Um, and not for training purposes, but just because he <laughs> yeah. looked he looked good. So who, so neck who's our who's the next death? So the next death this would be now so now there's two suicides in the house and the mom is dead. So there's mm-hmm. now three deaths in that house. From but we the- also had another son who died, but he wasn't in the house. That was the first son. Yes, California. he died in yes. California. California, yes. Right. But, so, um, but his wake was at the house, so his body okay. was at the house at some point. And a lot of people believe that the most, the strongest case for a ghost, um, in and and Stephen Taylor tells a story, amazing. Um, I'll try to get him on your show if you want to do like a Halloween thing. Um, <laughs> but he's great at ghost stories. Um, so Stephen tells the story of the man with the shiny shoes, and a lot of people believe that is in fact uh, Frederick. Um, Frederick is gorgeous. He was tall. He was dark. He was handsome. He looked a lot like on his mom's side. He had the really dark eyes. Mm-hmm. He didn't have the the gray eyes or anything like that. He was when you see pictures of, of Frederick, it was like, damn. The guy was like a Valentino mm-hmm. in the day. And he married one of the most beautiful women in St. Louis and Irene Verdon, which later would there was a little talk around town that she was a black widow. Because the person she died, she married next, Robert Langdon, he also dies eight mm-hmm. months after the marriage and she gets his fortune. <laughs> Lucky. So it's really strange. I mean, but that also is the time period. Everybody's in pain. Everybody's teeth are rotten. I mean, it's mm-hmm. people, the food's terrible. We made ketchup because it's spoiled meat. You know, shit like that. People don't realize it's not like today. Yeah. You know, where everything yeah. tastes great and it's bad for you. Um, but you know, so 1949, May 10th, another great date. May 10th, 1949. Charles will actually take his life in the mansion. He will leave the note. Charles left a note. Okay. Yes, and so if you go in Lent Mansion, you go left, it's Billy's death. You go down the hallway a little bit more, you'll see 
the bar. That was Charles's room. That's where he kills himself there. And then upstairs is where William killed himself. And how did Charles kill himself? Charles killed himself with a revolver to the skull, which would have been impossible. I believe, and I will always believe, because of Charles's note, that it was a mercy killing. And that's the one I said. He said, I, people are going to say I didn't do it, but I did, or something yes. like that. Yes, if I'm found dead, blame no one but me. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so um, the thing with that is that he had rheumatoid arthritis. There's no way he could have squeezed off around. Mm-hmm. There's no way he could have even put his, because the shot was in the back. So back to front is the, this is how he shot himself. Hmm. So it's even hard for me to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, he just put it to his skull. I'm like, no, I angle the bullets going this way, bud. So, some people believe it's a mercy killing. Um, the strange thing about Charles's death is the dog. Um, and I don't want to make any speculation. Oh, I, yeah, I heard the, yeah, he killed yeah. the dog. But too. the dog is shot in the chest, which it's very hard to shoot a dog in the chest mm-hmm. unless it's lunging at you. So, a lot of people believe mercy dog, mercy guy came in to do the deed for Charles, paid him a lot of money or whatever. He writes that weird note. Um, dog looks at this what the fuck you doing Go jumps ahead. at him and boom he shoots the dog after he shoots Charles they find him dead in the morning um, actually Miss Biddy who uh, I think she's still alive she owned the Lump Exchange Bar right there uh, it's right on the corner it's an actually it's an IRA hangout <laughs> for the Irish mob Irish mafia there um, it's a really really cool bar but what, some, what's it called it's called the uh, Corner Irish Pub but when you walk in you'll see an IRA flag so if you're Irish I mean that's fucking cool um, and they got some cool pictures on the walls, too, of the mm-hmm. old IRA. Oh, they're real, real Irish people. But Biddy, okay, so her dad was Albert Bid- Bidman. So it was her dad that found William Limp dead. Hmm. And she's still on the block. That's fucking cool. Like, yeah. that was so cool for me. So then you have four suicides all wrapped up. Now, Charles is a clean suicide. You can look at it that way, too. I can, I can have both. I, I don't have any evidence that supports any of that. There's just so much theory when you start reading about this guy. It's like, man, they were in league with the fucking Egan's rats. Did they owe him any money? What the fuck happened? You know, There's all this bunch of shit that you can go down those rabbit holes. Like, It's very easy to get trapped, too, in a rabbit hole. The problem that we had was the, the, the monkey boy in the attic. And it's really easy to debunk that because they said it was Billy's illegitimate son that was... I don't know anything about this. <laughs> I didn't get that far, so... Oh, you will. <laughs> um, it's kind of died off because we've done a lot of speaking engagements about it. Mm-hmm. There's just no feasible way that it was a Lemp kid. Now, during the flop house years, which is where you're getting most of your spirits in that house, is because you had a lot of shit going on between 1949 and 1974. It was a transient flop house, and that area goes to ruin. It goes to ruin. That was Millionaire's Row at one point. That would be the biggest ghetto in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. You're post-war, okay? So this is 1949. The recession's happening. There's not a lot of work. People are transient. They're going across, and they become opium dens in Chinatown over here. So really strange things are happening in St. Louis at this point. You know, all the industries kind of leaving the city. They don't need it anymore. They over-manufactured for World War II. Um, we, we held the bombs right here, too, which is kind of a crazy story. Um, but th- at the same time, you have this Lemp mansion that is basically a flop house. People are living there one day, two weeks, three weeks. But you're getting all type of people in there. People are dying of drug overdoses. People are being killed in there. People are just dying because they're sick. So that that place for 23 years just was a deep part of energy that just stays there. There's a lot of death. There's a lot of violence that's happening in those walls outside of the Lemp family. So, yes, can I have that it's haunted? Sure. How do you know it's Lemp people? No. You know, do you have an actual, you know, full-bodied apparition that looks like somebody? I mean, now I know you. Now you do some like 
what am, what am I trying? What's the word I'm looking for? Paranormal. Yes. Ghost hunt? Yes. In, yes. Investigating, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we do. Uh, talk to us about that. Uh, uh, Illinois is a two-parter. You, you, brought, you brought some things in. Show I us. did. Correct? I did. Well, now I've watched Ghostbusters. Now I want to. See, oh. Well, Ghostbusters, <laughs> Ghostbusters is the best movie to watch if you want to get into paranormal. Harold <laughs> yeah. Remus, Washington University graduate, um, wrote that because he was a paranormal investigator, mm-hmm. and Dan Aykroyd has always been a huge paranormal investigator. He's a huge guy. So those guys were the perfect person to write the film, uh-huh. uh, which I thought was pretty awesome. So I, I did bring some stuff that we like on our team that we bring. Um, and most of it is based on on science, and that's kind of where we like to live. Um, this here is called an EMF detector, and we get the cool ones. So this is a little EMF detector. What's going to happen here is it's going to pick up any kind of electronic magnetic fields. We believe, based on the testimony and PhDs that have worked in thermodynamics, that energy cannot be destroyed. So if the human body is energy and it dies, where does that energy go? And will it pick up on EMF? So there is some science to back it. Thermodynamics has proved that the human body may pass away and decompose, but the energy that was, is within us cannot be destroyed. The energy cannot be destroyed. Um, this is proven time and time and time again. So regardless of skeptics out there, okay, maybe it's not ghost and maybe it's not the nun, which would be really cool. But yeah, if, if 1% of what happens in movies actually happened on a ghost hunt, you would never fucking ghost hunt again. <laughs> Fuck no, dude. Right. That's all that bitch turning into a painting in front of me. I'm a fucking, all right, I believe, and I yeah. gotta go now. So, But this, we try to basically get answers. So this will light up all if you got a lot of EMF. The problem with EMF is if you put this by any kind of iron or any kind of light, it's gonna fucking go off like crazy. Mm-hmm. So you gotta be careful with this one. Um, and that brings you to more of a, Beautiful story about the paranormal. Now, now, do you now going with the ghost and the energy thing? Sure. So now you definitely believe that the energy remains. Now, do you believe? Now, what do you believe? Do you believe it's a ghost? Do you believe there's the spirit? That, it's not just the energy that it's. It's sort of I don't want to say it has a mind of its own, but it can. You're a good podcast host. I'm gonna be honest with you. you <laughs> well, guys, I'm just you, curious. You guys are gonna blow up. I know. Are I know. we? Yes, because like, you, you're a lot like Jeremy. Jeremy's kind of like coastline. Says something really smart every now and then. And has some real deep thoughts on some shit. And then you ask really good questions. Yeah, well. Um. So, so the thing is, is that I, I think that what I believe is a mixture. Mm-hmm. I believe in residual hauntings. Um. It's kind of like what I said about the soccer stadium. There's a lot of energy there. Um, so a residual haunting is actually something that has placed its bound in, in a certain specific area. So, And it doesn't always have to be evil. In the Biltmore Hotel, um, actually the Biltmore Estate, which was built by the Vanderbilts in, in Asheville, North Carolina, is the most beautiful home. But there are no scary stories there. It's just an amazing family that did amazing things for people, and they just loved people. There is no salacious scandals, but there's did, an energy in Did people place. die in the home? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that okay. would have been con- that would have been but what the residual haunting does is it shows you a glimpse from the past. It shows you this psychic reveal of what actually happened or what occurred. And you know this to be residual when you get the story. So the first thing we do in a private investigation is we're gonna meet everybody that had an experience. We're gonna ask them and we're gonna not be judgmental. The problem is a lot of people want to be on camera and they want to do that, so we stopped all that shit. We actually do private investigations only now because we really want to get to the bottom of what's happening in this person's house. If we hear that four or more people are seeing the same exact thing, I see a woman, she's at the top of the stairs, she comes down the stairs, she greets me, I answer the question, I look behind me, I go back and she fades away. If you have that happen to multiple people, 
okay? Five different times. That's not a haunting. What that is is it's just like a videotape. Right, so what is videotapes? Videotapes are just metal. That's why it always has that rust tape. It's always the rust color. It's just metal. It's magnetizing, so it magnetizes somehow. And certain parts of the year, where barometric pressure or frequency, or if there's a lot of rain, there's a lot of energy, it can make these things materialize. And it's going to show you a glimpse from the past. One of the best stories I ever heard was and very so, terrifying. So the spirit isn't there. The energy isn't there. That's right. just something that's happened before. And it's just sort of yes. It's just recreating itself. It's not haunting. It's just mm-hmm. it's just playing over what happened in 1873 on that a Wednesday a lot. at 5 p.m. and just happens. It replays every mm-hmm. once in a while. And that part of history always happened a lot. It was the one staircase. Maybe she always presented herself in a new dress, and she came down this staircase, and she was so proud, and she was so happy that that energy disperses, and it leaves itself, and it makes an embedment, and a mark on the wall, right? So what do you call that? Residual. Residual, okay. So every now and then. and That's not you, a haunting. It's not a haunting. Nothing. It's scary if you mm-hmm. never, like, so one of the best things, one of the best residual hauntings is actually in Charleston, uh, South Carolina. It's at a place called um, Pugin's Porch. And it's haunted by a dog, which mm. I love fucking dogs. But every now and then, you'll be sitting at a table outside, and you'll just feel a tail go by your leg. Okay? Pugin's buried in the, in the yard. When you walk inside, um, there's, a, there's a famous residual haunting of a lady coming down the stairs to greet somebody. And she says, how many in your party? Two. And then people will come up and say, how many in your party? Like, oh, we just got ashes. Why are you calling that? her coming down the steps a haunting because it happened no well they believe it to be a haunting okay. when they first experience it but then the staff will let you know now that's just our residual that <laughs> <laughs> just happened and it the happens out, so that's much that's just that, residual yeah, it's just our it's just our ghost and then and and they'll do that and one of the biggest residual hauntings, but that doesn't that doesn't mean they don't they, they didn't no. have to have died there it's just the energy still there replaying it's right gotcha. right and especially you get this in older houses that People live there a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. And so anytime a traumatic event or a very, and this is where we, we side with other ghost hunters, like it doesn't always have to be evil. It could be a beautiful moment where two people were very much in love and they love this one room and they spent time in this room. And one of the most beautiful stories comes out of Charlottesville. Okay, it's Virginia, which got a lot of really bad press recently, but there's some beautiful places to go there. And there's this room in Mickey's Tavern where these man and woman, he went off to war, Revolutionary War, and he died. But the saddest story comes out of it, but it was the woman waited for him in that room forever, and he never came. And so the residual haunting there is them dancing together and her sitting on this couch looking out the window waiting for him. Hmm. Doesn't interact, doesn't want to talk to you, it doesn't exist. It's part of our weird universe that's just playing back a memory. Or some people believe that it could be a different plane, a different dimension, where in this dimension, it's it's still 1883, and those events have not happened yet. There's just some little glitch. Oh, yes. Gotcha. So in that dimension, it's still 1883, or it's still 1774. We haven't gone to war yet. We haven't declared our independence yet. And you're seeing, if you could reach out to them, and you can touch them and say, don't let them go, don't let them go. But you can't, because mm-hmm. it has to play that way. Um, and so those are the types of things that these devices are trying to pick up on. Can we change history? If we had a different plane... And we're seeing our past. 
and and this comes a lot from when when you look at uh, how 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 science is measuring how our universe was created. Well, light hasn't hit us yet. We're still seeing the light from when we were created. So it's almost like if you want to see the universe being developed, all you need is a telescope because our residual light when we formed is happening and playing out right now because it's getting back to us. So we can actually see how Earth was created. Some deep shit, It's Todd. fucking crazy, dude. It's we should have did that shot crazy. of tequila today, bro. Yeah. It's crazy. And it's like, if you just read thermodynamics, if you read anything on astrophysicists and, and what they study, it's just insane. So all these things play a part in investigations. But then there's a darker side to it. There's another plane that is very dangerous. Um, and that's where me and a lot of even my own team, we differ. There's people that just believe everything that's out there that's showing itself is is light. And now when you start talking about this other plane, you start talking about hauntings? Yes. Now you're getting into uh, poltergeist and Italian. Well, Italian. well the you're getting into the intelligent haunting, and you're getting into the poltergeist, and then you're getting into what we'd never want to see. Do, do you have any stories that... Oh, yeah. That, that is... Uh, yeah. Let's hear, let's hear one that's... The scariest one? Uh, let's go there. Okay. The, so the scariest one is the question of my contacts with the Catholic Church. Um, I happen to know and have met with and emailed, and we still have a very good dialogue with the number one exorcist in America. He actually started the exercise, the exorcist program in, in actually Chicago. Um, his name is Father Gary Thomas. Uh, he is now seminary, so he doesn't, do, he doesn't practice exorcisms anymore. Um, they made a movie about him. It's called The Right with Anthony Hopkins. Um, you can live. It's fabricated, but the stories are true when he went to the Vatican um, and stuff like that. So when you get into the demonic, you're, you're on a different playing field. And this is where you get made fun of, and this is where, but look at where The Conjuring and all those movies made billions and billions of dollars. People are so interested more in the devil than in Jesus, which is why you never see redemption in those films. You always see the devil winning, okay? The right does something different. It shows that how you can bind a demon to the Jesus's cross, and it's done. The problem with the Ital- Italians is Italians don't believe in the full ritual. They believe that you should prolong the thing. So in America, like everything, like our cheeseburger, <laughs> like everything with everything on it. You know what I'm saying? We're gonna go right for it. So I mean, it's, it's, it's the truth, bro. It's it's so American. <laughs> Exorcisms in America are so American. Um, so, <laughs> so they just do the full ritual. Okay, and sometimes you don't ever have to. Sometimes you just need to go in and you just need to do the right. And the right is prayers. And there's a prayer for God, there's a prayer for you, and there's a prayer for the demon. Is it actually talking to them, saying, leave this person? There's two types of spirits that can embody someone. There's the disembodied, okay, which is a human spirit, okay? And this is very important. This is why you need people like us that are parapsychologists that can tell the difference, that have actually met with other people, but we will never perform an exorcism. It's way too dangerous. That's when you have to get the bishop involved and you got to bring somebody in. Now, this sounds crazy, maybe to your viewers, but this shit happens every fucking day. You're, Just, you're, you're scaring the shit out of her, Mike. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it happens like every day. I mean, the biggest one was in Michigan recently where Shippy actually has a documentary right now. Um, uh, Shippy did one on uh, Michigan's Hell House. That's a fucking terrible fucking story. That is horrible and it's documented. Then there's, you know, Hell House of Gary, Indiana, which is where Zach Baggins did his documentary on Demon House, uh, where he actually stayed there at night. And Zach is definitely a character on TV, but I think that really fucking scared him. That's the first time you see Zach Baggins, and he's not that cute fucking swaggery guy. 
He's fucking scared to death. And this is not good acting because he's a terrible actor. So this this is something that you're seeing that. So I'm going to go through residual. We all know what that is. You're going to go through an intelligent haunting. Intelligent haunting could be a ghost that of a human that doesn't want to transition. Buster Keaton is a great ghost, okay? Buster Keaton was a creative comic, 30s, 40s, and 50s. He died in his house in California, and he still haunts it, and he's an intelligent haunting. He doesn't want to transition on. He actually likes being a ghost. This is what we, a lot of people believe. So he plays tricks on people. He can hear you. He can move shit. He can make things disappear. He can make things reappear. He can change atoms in the sky so you can smell uh, roses. So he's learned in his his uh, spiritual form to change atoms, which means that uh, there's certain smells that you never want to smell, but there's other smells that you would love to smell. Like your grandfather always smoked a cigar, Mm -hmm. right? That's my grandfather. So every now and then I'm like, fuck, it smells like a cigar in here. Is that my grandfather? So he'll, it's these little things that he can take from your memory and be like, all right, I'll give him this. So when I saw, when I had that feeling that my grandfather was in a room, I knew it was him. It was a sense of warmth. It was like that smell that I can always smell from one of his stogies. And it vanishes. Can if there's two people in the room, can they both smell that? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, because the atoms have changed for us on that, and they, we don't know how that works per se. Um, we're trying to figure that out. We, we like to take these these stuffs and we like to basically use it for scientific data. We're not saying that just because this goes off that there's a ghost there. It could be a lot of other things, but it's all about calculating, 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 and getting a lot, a lot, a lot of data. So all of our investigations are free. So if you have a haunted house, we'll do it for free just because we need the data. We don't charge people. I mean, they're going through some shit right now, right? So Buster Keaton is an intelligent haunting. He can actually, if you say, are you here? He'll knock twice. Maybe he'll do it. Maybe he won't, right? But he's not He's not malicious. He's not ill-intented. So a lot of times people are like, well, we're just going to leave it. And there's no reason to have him transcend or go on. Yeah. Then you have disembodied. But they could. They could. So I'm going to come in and do an exorcism, do the prayers. and Yes. The exorcism is See you later, Buster. Right. When it's disembodied, the exorcism is totally different. Usually it's just the right. It's not the ritual. So they would just come in and do the right, and then it would open up something on their end where's the light. to be. It's a light of judgment. It doesn't mean you're going to heaven or hell. <laughs> and a lot of people stay behind because they fear that maybe they're going to hell. When you die, what we believe in this industry is that you don't get judgment. It even says it in the Bible. Your judgment's not when you die. Your judgment is when he returns. Okay? So if you're a Christian, you follow that, that, that shtick, right? So at this point, you're dead. Can you go to the light? Is there this tunnel in front of you, or can you just ignore it? Uh, a great movie by A24 called um, A Ghost Story really talks about this, where the ghost sees They put the a light. lot of thought into the title. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You know what she called a ghost story, and it's great. Yes, you really start to see that, right? You start to see an intelligent haunting. You're starting mm-hmm. to see something that's still wavering around because his love is still there, his daughter is still there, his kids are still there. He doesn't want to leave them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the intelligent hauntings, and those are. So then you have the disembodied human spirits, which died suddenly and don't realize they're fucking dead, and mm-hmm. they don't know what's happening, and they're trapped in this weird dream where they're trying to wake up, and so they start all this ruckus, and they're shaking shit, and they're moving shit around, and it's like, what the fuck is wrong? Why can't I wake up? And then they can go inside people, and they can possess people. You can totally get possessed by a disembodied, but which is much better than getting possessed by an ancient evil. Have you seen this happen? I have not personally seen that happen. I've seen videotape of disembodied, gotcha. which is very different from demonic. Mm-hmm. It's mostly scared. 
it's just really scared. It's they're really not sad. trying to scare other people. They're no. just scared. They don't know what to do, and they get in your body and yep. just sort of like yep. just sort of living in it and trying to yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like astral projection where it left its body, but then it had nowhere to return, so it's trapped. Mm-hmm. But it can visit other planes, so it sees scary shit, and it doesn't know what the fucking thing is because it it just like maybe somebody was just walking in the house, and got shot in the back of the head. They, Never saw it coming. Mm-hmm. So you have these traumatic events that create this energy, and then you see all this shit, and you don't know where you are. So there's the disembodied. And then you go into the poltergeist. Now, the poltergeist, this is really strange, but poltergeist usually happens when you have a 13-year-old female daughter, okay, that's going for the first stages of puberty. That's Hold on a second. So, yes. start. So you're saying this, ha- this doesn't just happen at one. This is something that happens a lot. Poltergeist, yeah. Okay. Yeah, a 13-year-old do- girl yeah. that's going through pu- puberty. That happens a lot there. It's the same percentage as twins. So identical twins, there's 10% of identical twins can feel when the other is in trouble mm-hmm. or in pain. 10% of them. Not all of them. So it's the same with the telepathy that can manifest within a female. In the time she's 13, her hormones are changing. But think about all the other chemicals that are in her body that are actually changing at this point. This is when they become very awkward. This is where you're seeing a lot of other stuff that I'm not going to get into. But this is a really tough part of their life when they're making that change from child to female adult. I can have children now. So all of this is happening because um, something else is raging inside them, right? You're about to drop some eggs. You're about to shed them. You're going to get a lot of pain. And what's happening? You're embodying a lot of energy. And that energy is making you mad. If you've ever met anybody that's going through a menstrual cycle, it's bowling night for us, right? So what's happening then is they can make shit move. They can make the doors fucking slam. They can slide things across the room. They can make shelves come off. And you see these poltergeist events that are happening. It's not a noisy spirit. What it is is it's actually the child doesn't realize she's doing it. Mm-hmm. But she's like, fuck, I'm, you know, why is this happening to me? And, and the light will go out or a fucking cabinet door will fall off. Or they have that type of telepathy. Now, science and parapsychology are the bigger school. Schools like Duke, even Washington University won't admit it, but they do have a program there, um, are trying, have been trying to hone in on the poltergeist. Like, what is it that when a woman goes through this per- certain person time, now two things happen, it just goes away. That year it just goes away. Poltergeist usually lasts one or two years. So that's the thing that's weird. If it's a ghost that wants to hang around, why isn't it still here? The stories are intermittently and they always travel, which is why the film The Poltergeist involves a small female child. Right now, she's the wrong age because a lot of people didn't buy into it, but they still use it as a storyline. Mm-hmm. Right, so then that's your poltergeist, and then you get into the darkest plane of all. So poltergeist was a real name; they used it in the title of the movie. Correct. It's, it's a German. You're not, you're not stealing that from the movie. No, yes, gotcha. no. It's okay. a it's a German word. It's always meant uh, noisy spirit. Gotcha. Because you know Europe is just overly haunted. It's just so much shits happened there, um, and I tell people too, if they, well, I really want to see a ghost, I really want to believe, go to Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you, if you go to Gettysburg, you're going to have an experience. I guarantee you. 25,000 people died in t- three days yeah. in Gettysburg. There's limbs everywhere. Um, you're going to see something there. There's so much fucking bad energy and, and just terrible energy there that if you don't feel it, like if you're a sensitive person, like I feel very a lot of anxiety. I don't know why I feel anxiety. You have a sixth sense. Like mm-hmm. these people are like, oh, I need all these pills to take my anxiety. If they really started focusing on why you have anxiety, you might have a sixth sense. Why are you so scared? Why are you having a panic attack right now? What made you have a panic attack? I don't know. I just went to work. Hmm. Where do you work? Interesting theory. So it's like maybe, maybe, you know, calm down. I've met people that have never had a panic attack, and all of a sudden they started having them. What changed in your life? Well, I started, I changed jobs. Okay, well, that can be very stressful. Where did you go to? Well, I'm working at um, Spruce Building. Oh, really? 
what floor are you on in Spruce Building? He's like, I'm on seven. Interesting. Do you know the history of Spruce Building and the hardware store? The old Simmons hardware store? It was the one store that you could actually buy guns for the North or South because they didn't have any rights to do it. So you could sell guns to both the Confederate and the Union. It's one of the only hardware stores in America you could do that. Hmm. Down the street, you had another one. Okay, so um, when you look at that, like look at the changes of atmosphere, looking at the changes of people and their environments, and suddenly they have panic attacks all of a sudden. Why? You're tapping into something that's happening in that. So that's a crazy feeling. So, hmm. so, oh, so no. what, what's, what's the worst? So then <clears throat> the next step is? Demonic. Demonic. And that's when, you, that's when me and my friends and my group, which is a team at that point, we're not really friends when we investigate. We, the jokes stop because these people are going through something. They don't understand it. Uh, last two investigations I've done are very, very affluent people. And so the, the, not, the say it again, demonic? Demonic. Demonic. And is this where you've had your worst cases? Yeah. Your scariest? The scariest cases are the demonic. Um, and for me, Jeremy has some grimacing tales of, of the demonic because they are powerful. They're not as powerful as they once were, but these ki- fuckers can kill you. Mm-hmm. Okay, you, pu- you put yourself in front of the, one of the biggest stops right here in the demonic highway is on a highway. It's the old truck stop. Um, that truck stop right there still does it, and they stopped doing it recently. But we've had people have buzz saws thrown at their fucking head and sticking in a wall behind them, like, yep, we're done. And there's a noisy, bad, serial-killing spirit that actually lives in that building that's all been verified and documented. He died outside the building. Uh, he was fucking killed. He, he got his, but he's still in that building. And he was an old Vietnam veteran that just had really bad post-traumatic stress syndrome, turned into a serial killer, worked at the truck stop, would kill fucking women, da 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 very transient. And then suddenly he got his, and he's actually in the basement of that building. And that building is very that's, – that's a disembodied that's moved over to the, the dark side. When you talk about ancient evil, then you're getting into something that is very tricky. And the conjuring and stuff like that has kind of put some, some of that to light, right? Like the, the 3 o'clock in the morning. For some reason, you moved into this new house. It's an old house. You're waking up every night at 3 a.m. Now, there's something called um, uh, top of mind awareness. If you tell yourself to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, you're going to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. You will. You can try it at home. Just keep saying it. I'm going to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I guarantee you, you'll wake up at 2.59, and it'll freak you the fuck out. But I'm talking about you were just waking up, and you were abroad waking up. At three o'clock in the morning. The other things that happen with this is sleep paralysis. Yes, it can be scientifically proven that sleep paralysis is essentially when your body is tired, but your mind is awake. So your mind is now awake, but your body can't fucking move. And this happens to some people. Now, it doesn't happen to all people, which is why it's kind of weird. Everybody's gotten tired before. Why don't they go through sleep paralysis? Some believe that sleep paralysis is the way of a demon controlling you. Um, Case in point, my friend gets sleep paralysis, and unfortunately, his eyes remain open. Mine are usually closed, which, thank God, they are. But I always hear the whispers, especially when we've done an investigation. You take that shit with you. Um, so you have to, once again, you're stepping into something. How do you take it with you? Does the energy, some part it of that energy to get you. into you? Or? It attaches to you, mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah, and you can mm-hmm. get, if, if you have a Catholic state of mind, if you're kind of with me and with my prayers, I'm not scared of that shit, so it's harder for them to attach. But if you go in there with this light and crystals and smoke and all that crap. But you're, you're gonna, also a believer. I think yes, that, you know what I'm saying? Helps. I think, yes. Yeah, you have to, and that's the biggest fight I have with Jeremy. He's not a big Christian. I'm like, well, how do you believe in the devil and not God? Because you're going to mm-hmm. need him at some point if you keep mm-hmm. doing this shit. Uh, and Jeremy, when I met him as a ghost hunter, would go anywhere in a house by himself. 
that's changed recently since the thing that happened with him at Pythian Castle. And at Ashmore States up here that uh, Robin Terry owns this place up here, which if you want to do a ghost hunt, I would recommend that place too if you want to stay local. That fucking place. There's what, what place is it? It's called Ashmore Estates. What, where is it at? What city? Um, it's in, it's in uh, Charleston, Illinois. Oh. Uh, about 30 minutes outside, middle of nowhere. Um, it actually sits on a graveyard, and there's a graveyard in front of it too. It used to be a working farm. And so this is one of the scariest stories. Sorry, I kind of like delayed no. there, but I want you guys to have the information about what we're going into now. Right. Yeah. So the things that you have to worry about with demonic possession is the smell of roses. Get the fuck out. Okay. Nobody can produce that scent. What it is is it's funeral, and they're wanting you to smell death. Then they're going to let loose sulfur, and that's brimstone. They're showing you that where they're from and where they've come from. And you start smelling this smoky brimstone in the air, it's going to smell like a hard sulfur, like a, like a hard-boiled egg. You need to get the fuck out. Ghosts don't do that. Ghosts can't manifest that. Only ancient evil can do that. And those are the things we're doing. So now we're talking about, you're talking about your disembodied voices. Okay, now most ghosts can't talk to you. They can't vocalize. Demons can. Demons can say, get the fuck out. We have uh, things called EVP, uh, which would come with this device here. This is a spirit box. So a lot of times people believe in radio frequency. They can use that energy through frequency to kind of speak through the spirit box. I don't believe so much in this. I think we have this for testing only, but I make fun of this a lot because I'm like, that wasn't a demon. That's that shitty show on AM, you know? <laughs> yeah. But then you get into EVP, which is basically electronic voice phenomenon. So you're doing this to, to trigger... Because if you're getting EVPs in this place, like you got to be careful. Now you're moving more into demonic. You're more, moving more into a dark entity. So it's like, why is this person vocalizing with us? And now the first thing it's going to do is it's going to appear as a child. It's going to appear as a child or it's going to appear... Is that to fool you or... Yes. Yeah. It lures you in. Mm -hmm. Because the one thing that ancient evil needs is an invitation. Because mm. if you read the Bible, you have dominion over demons. Jesus Christ gives us this. It's dominion. You can do exorcisms. You read about this in the Bible when they're all doing exorcisms. They all have the gift of exorcism. Everybody has the gift of exorcism if you believe in Jesus Christ. The difference is you have to know the rite and the ritual. People are like, I can do that because I believe in God. Nope. Doesn't work that way. There are specific prayers for, okay? So this is what the conjuring does great. It does gives you the signs. It gives you the three legs, but it never gives you the fourth leg. The fourth leg is the known the known is the scariest thing that you'll ever run across, okay? What the known is is if somebody says they're possessed, you can fool us with the first three. You can have unusual strength. You can talk in a weird language, right? Blah, blah, blah. You can see that in any one of the evangelical churches when they go into their fucking weird tongues. Or um, they can give you um, some messages from the devil. But the one thing they can't do is give you the known. And what the known is, is I've never met you, I've never met you before. But if I'm possessed right now and I'm ancient evil and I've been attached to you and I've gone into you, I can basically say, okay, well, I know you now. I know your whole life. I know that your dad and you didn't have a really good conversation. Do you still hate your fucking father? Because he's burning in hell right next to me and he says, your mom's a whore. Now, he'll give you something that there's no fucking way that guy can know that. Mm -hmm. And that's when shit gets real. And you, I've seen this. I'm like, there's no fucking way he knows that. We did this in Lent Mansion. There's a scariest story I've had in St. Louis. It's my only experience actually in the Midwest since I've moved here. But Jeremy thought it would be a great idea to play the Ouija board inside <laughs> of Lent Mansion. And we're fucking paranormal investigators. Yeah. And then he's like, well, technically it's not our house. 
And technically, it's already haunted. What can it do? <laughs> <laughs> so when I was a kid, I had a Ouija board, and uh, we got it for Christmas. And it's my that six months of my life I'll never forget. Uh, we basically invited a lot of shit into that home, and we would end up losing two dogs. We would end up uh, being at each other's throats. The house was always cold in Florida. It just stayed at 67, 66. Always the house was so cold. Um, this was a big house, too. And my dad would come home. My uncle would come home. They didn't. They weren't in that universe. They weren't playing with it. They were like, what are you fucking guys doing? I remember getting the board in December, and I remember my uncle coming home at work. He's like, what the fuck are you guys doing in this fucking room? Like, like this. Yeah, exactly. He's like, what are you doing with this board all day long? You guys got to get out and get a life. I said, what's a Christmas present? He says, Frankie, it's May. We didn't even know it was fucking May. You've been, yeah. Like, it was the scariest thing. We started realizing, holy shit, like, what are we talking to? When you invite that stuff in your life, okay, the first thing an exorcist from the church will give you is an invitation form. And it's going to list off everything that they've seen that's caused demonic forces to arrive. One of the big ones is Reiki. We're seeing that with Hiawasa. The problem with Hiawasa is you're going into a different plane. Okay, now some people like Neil deGrasse Tyson don't believe it, but I do because they don't have to be seen to be here. That's the whole point of faith, right? They're going into Hiawasa. They're bringing stuff with them. Okay, they're coming down this channel with them. Okay, and they're also leaving your body. Your mind is not intact. You don't have the same control over it. So things are coming back with you. We're seeing that a lot in the demonic form. Have you done the Reiki? Have you done Hiawasa? And we're starting to see yes. Have you done any ritualistic stuff? Did you visit Zalakran? Did you visit Michu Picchu? Did you drink any of the, of the you know, Kobacha or um, Kokla. Have you done any of that? And they start saying, yeah, we took it. This was the family recently that I talked to them this morning. They're totally fine. I just can't give them away. They're a very affluent family in St. Louis. They went to Michu Picchu. Okay, and I did this investigation by myself. And I said, well, when did the occurrences start happening? Was it before you left for your trip or was it after? He's like, no, it was definitely after. I said, did you bring anything back? Did you bring any uh, souvenirs, anything? He's like, yeah, I mean, we got a couple, like, you know, some jewelry. And can I see the jewelry? Fucking jewelry was opal. Opal's dangerous. First of all, never buy yourself opal. Opal should always be given to you. But opal traps energy. So I'm like, that's interesting. They also had tiger eye. They had a bunch of different artifacts that they brought back. I said, did you buy anything from a museum or anybody off the street or anything like that? And I said, they said, not that we can remember. I said, when did the occurrences start happening? He says, well, we had a pest control out here. I said, I said well, that can happen. I mean, it's fucking winter. You know, shit can get trapped in, go up through your laundry, go into your roof and out it. They found nothing, but they kept hearing scratching. And I was like, what kind of scratching did you hear and what time did it happen? He said, well, it had to, I get up around 4, so it had to have been around there. I was up. I remember being up, like 3.45 or 4. I was in the kitchen, and I started hearing this scratching behind the wall. And I'm like, fuck. Now, there was a big rat problem in St. Louis during COVID because all the dumpsters weren't getting dumped and everything. I don't know if you remember that story, mm-hmm. but like a lot of times things got into the houses. But where these people live is in the city but it's in a really different part of the city. So I'm like, well, have you looked for roaches? He goes, dude, we've had everybody out here. We don't have roaches. We don't have raccoons. We don't have squirrels. We don't have rats. We don't have anything. I'm like, so you're hearing scratching. Okay, what else is happening? Well, weird things happening, disembodied voices. I came home the other day, and I said, hey, Bob, are you home? She's like, yeah, yeah, I'm up here. And then I went up there, and no one was there. And I said, really? I go, did it sound like a child? She goes, yeah, it did sound like a child. And then that's when it happened. And I said, what happened? That's when I saw the child. Okay. 
Now tell me what, what did you do with this child and why was it in your house? He's like, well, I thought the same thing, but when I went upstairs, she was just dressed and she had a little doll with her. And I don't know if she got into the back door and I started calling the police. So when they see, when you see something like this, like the child, they're not seeing like, like no. I'm visiting like the, the TV version of it. They're almost transparent. This is, they're actually, this looks like seeing, a human. Okay. Gotcha. Solid form. Solid form. Gotcha. You can actually hold its hand. And gotcha. he did. He took her downstairs. He has kids. They're both in college. Um, and he's so like, he invited her. <laughs> he says, come with me. I said, what did you tell her? He said, I said, I don't remember what I said. I remember calling the police. And he's in District 4 or 5, so Metropolitan's going to be there in probably four hours. <laughs> anyway, um, so he called the police. She, had, he was, she was sitting at the table, he says, he remembers. And her back was to him. I said, well, how was she dressed? He said, I don't know. She had like kind of a gown. It was a little cute little gown with flowers on it. I said, okay. And I said, Any, what did, she, did she leave anything? Was she holding anything? He said, he was holding this little like teddy bear, doll, you know, whatever. I think she's one of the neighbor's kids, right? So I'm like, fuck, I have a pool back there. She could have fell in, you know? So he's get, I'm getting freaked out now because you don't hear people that run multi-million dollar businesses have this conversation. Mm-hmm. You usually hear some Yahoo out there, like, let me take, yeah. <laughs> take something about my granddaddy. He's still in a goddamn attic with that shotgun. <laughs> That's what you usually fucking hear. This guy is like, like has a Lambo in the parking lot. You know yeah. what I'm saying? He's like, I don't know what the fuck this is. So I said, well, did you call, call the police? The police came out. And I said, he goes, he went to the front door and he says, I don't know. I don't know where she's at. She's, you know, she's young. She's got to be about four or five years old. They go into the kitchen where she was sitting and there's nobody there. So now the police are like, what do you mean? So they search the whole fucking house. They got another squad car come out. They go through the basement. And the one cop who's a detective starts looking around and saying, all your doors are locked, bro. All your windows are locked. And you said you just came home through the garage. How the fuck did she get in? He's like, I don't know. Months go by, nothing. It's a it's a funny story they're telling around Christmas time now. Okay, we go in there. I went in there late January, early February. I'm talking to him. So I'm doing this and taking all my reports. He's like, "What are you What are you writing down?" I said, "Well, I need to know like what exactly happened here. What did you tell this kid? Did you tell her that you're going to help her? Did you tell her you can help her? Did you tell her that you know it's okay? You can be here because she's going to ask you those questions, right?" She did. She said, "Can I? Is it okay if I'm here? Is it okay if I if I stay here?" And he said, "Absolutely. Let me call the police. Let's figure it out." When he did that, it was a fucking invitation. Mm-hmm. They never saw the kid again. But what they did see was not the kid, and that's when things got really bad. Um, the church actually got involved. Um, what happened next was the because after that point, we have to back out. This is not disembodied. This is not poltergeist. This is not residual because residuals are fun. Residual's like, oh, that's cool, man. You have a cool ghost. Yeah, just keep it there. No, there's no reason. <laughs> yeah. Every now and then, some of you'll see the old steamboat captain in your fucking bed. <laughs> <laughs> if you're having sex, it sucks, but whatever. <laughs> it's like steering a fucking ship. And having, I mean, shit happens, whatever. It, it's residual. It can happen at any point. But um, at that point, he was really shaken up. He's like, well, I don't want to tell my wife. I don't want to, how do I, have you told her that you've seen this thing? And she's like, no. I said, but she got woken up the other night to a voice saying, I'm down here. And she's like, what? <laughs> but it sounded like a child. Mm-hmm. And then he was still sleeping and she goes downstairs and that's when she turns the corner and it's when she sees it. It's this shadow figure. And he's standing by, it's like a beautiful bay window. This house is, it's built, I want to say, it's all, it was all built by Germans. It's this beautiful house. Like it's gorgeous. Massive fucking home. They have a Florida room right outside. 
And this thing is standing in the corner and it approaches it. And then she just sees this fucking 12 foot shadow just sitting there and like kind of tries to come toward her and she fucking freaks the shit out, mm. runs upstairs, tells the husband what the fuck he grabs, calls the police again, police come out are like, what, what's happening now, bud? <laughs> so I determined that what the artifacts they brought back had something to do with this because it's the only link that they had once they brought it with them, which was attached to these fragments and these. That's why when you go to different countries, don't buy other people's religions. <laughs> Don't just don't do that. Um, as as Machu Picchu being one of the seven wonders of the world, there's a lot of shit that lives there. It's very ancient. Um, so they basically, I believe, at that point I was out of it. I didn't have any. I just got them to the right people, which I will not. We've been called a thousand times since the last podcast. I do not give out my contacts because I would lose my credibility within mm-hmm. the Catholic Church. There is a process, and if you call your local church, they'll tell you that process. And it takes a lot for them to come out there. Um, but once they started getting shit on their cameras, once they started getting their shit in inside certain things, um, that's when we knew that something was going on. Uh, with Jeremy at, at Ashmore Estates, he literally saw something come out of the wall. So, so back with this family, you call the Catholic Church. We did. They come out. Yep. And has did did they get? To my knowledge, did the family get the results they wanted? Yeah, I I think that. I haven't heard from them, and I, I think I've, I've driven by a couple times just to see if they have a for sale sign. <laughs> but what you don't realize is that's not going to work. It's going to go with you. Oh, really? It never haunts a house. He did, he, yeah, he didn't make the invitation to the house. He made the invitation to his life, right? Exactly. That's uh, why when you see children or animals. What is your... What is your so? Why do you do this? Or is it just a curiosity? Is it just a... Like, you want to help? Is it a little of both? Or... I, I believe that, that spirits, first of all, you can never have redemption with demonic forces. And that's a stupid thing that I hear on podcast a lot. Um, I'll tell you straight out from from the, the, the number one guy that did. Ross was just saying that on our last podcast, something about redemption and, and demonic. I'm like, Ross, stop saying that. You can't do that. As long as you're Aren't in, you, right? <laughs> See, you're so silly, Ross. Stop that. As long as you're in human form, you can always be redeemed by God. Mm-hmm. If you're dead, it's too late. Yeah. As in death, so in lo- as in life, so in death is the number one rule you use in paranormal investigation. A serial killer does not become a good person in the afterlife. Uh-huh. It's still a fucking serial killer. It's bad energy. Um, so, the thing that that I would warn people in, 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 in suggestion from that why I do it is because I believe there's a lot of people that need to move on from this plane, and they don't know how, mm-hmm. and we can help them. That's what we do. We help them move on. We help them transition. We help them find the light and, and get out of there. And sometimes they don't want to leave, and that's okay. Sometimes they need more time, but they don't see the world we do. They see what they died in. They don't know that things are new around them. There's a new family. They believe they're the people that are being haunted. The Others was a great film that talked about that theory, um, about ghosts feel like they're being haunted. They don't know what the fuck this person's doing in my bedroom right now. What's happening? So that's the reason why we do it. And I think that's the why Gary, Father Gary Thomas did it, even with Ghost. And he would go around all of San Francisco Bay and all of California. I have this beautiful three-hour interview with him. And he talked about, like, going to places that were haunted and saying, hey, I can help with this. We can get rid of these ghosts. Mm -hmm. Like, these people want to move on. I have a couple different emotions. One, I feel like... We jinxed ourselves. We have now brought this energy to us <laughs> yeah. where we could be getting haunted now. I'm going to be waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning to a little girl telling me, I'm down here. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, but, do you but have here's like, here's do you my have other emotion. Kids, it could just be one of them. <laughs> here's my other emotion. At least now I know somebody to call. <laughs> <laughs> Good emotion. You know what? So <laughs> I'm scared, but I also have a safety blanket. The, the, this, well, I can only do here's so what I think. Here's what I think happened. Uh, do you remember down at the Hit Squad? Whenever we uh, there was a guy who came there. He worked for Orkin. He was like an exterminator. He would come, was really goofy, dude. He'd come in all the time. We didn't need his services, but he'd always ask uh, us. And then he would just kind of come in, hang out. Like, he was bizarre. Mm-hmm. And we never had any problems with any sort of, like, bug or rodent until he started <laughs> stopping by. Remember? He was like, hey, you guys need me? Like, no, we're, we're, we're no, thanks for coming by. We've never Mind if I use your bathroom you know, real quick to throw I, some roaches down? And then he starts stopping by. Then we have, we have <laughs> these mice. Do you know what I'm saying? Now, do you feel like we haven't had any problems in here? Like, do you feel like when, when Frankie leaves the next Thing you know, Ross, we're gonna have we're gonna have all kinds of weird crap going on, right? Is that uh, what would, is that what you're doing here? Are you dropping some off? No, I would say that no. Your attachments want to stay with you, uh, uh, and some of your attachments are actually disembodied people. Um, there's there's a lot of cases where people's grandma has stayed with them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of and you can good luck them. with that one, Todd. God damn it, I'm really close <laughs> to our grandma fucked. too. Yeah, and you can tell them to leave. You can yeah. tell them they can move on. That you're okay. Yeah. They'll go. Um, and a lot of times that's what we see, but I would tell you that honestly in the 90, and I think Jeremy would probably second this in a 96% of the stuff we investigate, it's a trash panda. It's a, it's a house settling. Um, it's, it's just an old, uh, it's, it's the old ta- new, uh, what is it? Tube and knob fucking electric system. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an old plumbing. Uh, there was an interesting one that we did that was whistling and it was really creepy. And we become as it happens every night at the same time. I'm like, that's interesting. And it would happen around like three o'clock in the morning. And so we're sitting in this house and then every time it's like, Oh fuck that. Like what the fuck is whistling down here? Um, and then Jeremy just went to the back of it and just like, Oh, huh, the air vents broken here and it's tapping against this. And before you know, it was all it was, was an air vent that was coming from the basement. And basically it made a funnel, which created a whistle. And then once he closed it off, whistle stopped. Nice. But for that fucking two months that they're like, what the fuck is whistling? In my yeah. Head? It was scary for them. So I would say that, like, does it happen a lot? No, it doesn't happen a lot here anymore. You don't see a lot um, of demonic possession anymore in America because we've we've monetized it. The devil doesn't really need us. kind of has us. He has the people he wants. Um, now, is Alton... Alton is big of like hauntings oh, is, yeah. is as big as they say, you know, it you is. hear all these sort of the McPike mansion and the, yeah. uh, the, what is it? The minerals, mineral, mineral springs. springs. And there's a, a few different places in Alton, correct? Yes. They have there, like haunted tours, I think. Oh yeah. I mean, Troy Taylor has a big thing down there. There's a couple other people. It was a famous psychic actually, Bevy. Um, Bevy was down. I think she perished now, but Bevy was one of the best psychics. I mean, she actually solved a murder. Um, back in the 70s, mm-hmm. um, she saw where the girl was taken. She, and she saw was from, Alt, from the Alton area. Yes, she was. Yes, hmm. she was. Um, there's some great stories of old Alton. Alton is a conduit for spirits. Um, one of the things ghost hunters love is when it rains. If you're at a haunted location and it rains that night, you're going to get a lot of materialization. Spirits use um, either limestone or they use water. So mineral springs is just a great source for spirits because they can always materialize. And that's why haunted Alton is. But Alton, Alton has a very dark past. Mm-hmm. A lot of blood in Alton. A lot of yeah. still. I mean, I mean, the Underground Railroad was there. They had a lot yeah. of that stops there. Yeah. So a lot of dark energy in Alton. Mm-hmm. Um, great place to go, not though. Uh, just be careful of what you're saying and how you're talking to spirits, too, because just like the Ouija board when I was a kid, uh, you know, we got into that devil shit and we had to get a priest to come out to the house, exercise the house, break the board. I still have a scar on my on my thigh where I broke the board and went right through. 
Hmm. Like, you got to be careful with that type of shit. Tarot card reading, uh, spirits, crystals, saging. Saging's terrible, man. It's all just sort of invitations. You start playing in that world. I'm not not going to be careful. I'm going to stay the fuck away. (laughs) You got that right, Ross. This crystal does this. I'm like, no, it doesn't. It does one thing. It invites. Um now you now you put on a uh, like a, a film fest. I do right, like horror films, yes, correct? Yes, in, in the St. Louis area. Yeah, Haunted Garage does um, the Haunted Garage Horror Film Festival, which is really fun. Um, we bring in speakers from all over, from different backgrounds and stuff. The last couple of years, we've had a guy by the name of uh, Colton Scribner, who's a PhD in morbid curiosity, he's a psychologist. So he studies in morbid curiosity. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. He studies why we're scared. Um, hmm. It's fucking cool as shit. Every year he does a different presentation. Where this is year, this located? It's located. We're doing it at High Point this year. So nice. Cinema St. Louis just yeah. bought um, High Point. So we're going to be doing it there. They got the back lot. They got the two theaters in there. So we're going to be showing short films, micro shorts, and features. Um, if you have a film out there and it's really scary, go ahead and submit it right now. You can submit it at Film Freeway. Just look under Haunted film, film Freeway? Film Freeway, yeah. We do everything. Just go to the website. I mean, Haunted Now, are these local, these local movie makers, or there's, they can both from anywhere, all over? Just not international. We don't touch international. It's too much work for us. Because mm-hmm. um, a lot of times we're going to need the subtitle files, and then it's just, we're not that big. We're mm-hmm. just trying to do something for St. Louis during Halloween and get people. Is that one of, oh, it's during Halloween? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing it. Um, it's October. Fifth, sixth, and seventh this year. So it starts on a it starts on Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday. Um, we'll do all the speakers. We'll do the great award shows. We're famous for the Golden Piston Award. We actually, because of haunted transportation, we found we find uh, these wreck yards. We find really tragic accidents. We pull the engine. We pull the pistons out of that engine, and maybe you get a haunted pro- haunted object when you. <laughs> so we, we kind of yeah have an attachment. Why not? Um, I, I didn't think about that when we talk about haunted like transportation, haunted haunted automobiles. Is a lot of deaths are like just like quick deaths, like in an accident or something, and that energy sticks around. Exactly, yeah. and so that's kind of the theory, right? I think a lot of people that have haunted houses don't realize it's coming from their cars, because mm-hmm. they'll have a classic car, and I'm like, when did you buy the car? Okay, when did this shit start happening? Yeah. He's like, it's not the car. It's the fucking house. I'm like, why? Why? Because it's old? Just because something's old doesn't mean it's on it, yeah. right? So our theory is a house is a house. I mean, how many houses have you had in your lifetime? How many houses did your dad have in your lifetime, right? You, you might have moved a couple different times, but you never in your entire lifetime say, man, really want to go back and buy my old house and live in it again. But you will say that about a car. Mm-hmm. And that's what I believe the emotional attachment comes in. You will find your old car when you were a kid. And you will fucking rebuild that. Mine's sitting in the damn garage. Yeah. <laughs> okay? And so you will find it. You will rebuild it to the specs you had it. Because a car is something that you can really be emotionally attached to, that when you die, that was your favorite material item, and you can attach yourself to something. So that's why we believe haunted transportation is even more haunted than any house could be. Because a house just gets raised. But a car, you'll fucking find it. Like, people will search for that VIN number, and they will look for it across the globe. It's crazy what people that. are willing to do. So, yeah. We definitely believe there's something there. And, and you're a little bit of a film buff, so we wanted to ask you, and this we're, we're, we're not going to stick with the, the horror genre. We're just going to ask you, what, what, so what would you be your Mount Rushmore of movies of all time? Oh, I hate that question. Um, there's so many. Yeah, I hate fucking, that. I hate when people ask me that I question, but I, like, that question. but I like asking it. <laughs> <laughs> I like to know. It's such a good question, too, but it's also really hard to answer because it depends on what Because you have before. 20 of them, and you're trying to narrow it down to four. And you don't, you know, I get it. I love Out of Africa. Mm-hmm. I think it's my favorite. Film. I haven't seen that in a long, long time. Yeah, Out of Africa is probably the. Film I wasn't I, expecting that though. Right, I cry the most in that. Uh, my other favorite film would be Somewhere in Time. 
I love. I don't know that one. Okay, it's uh, Christopher Reeve. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a beautiful film, and I love. What was time, the name of it? Uh, Somewhere in time. Somewhere in time. I don't know that. One. I don't either. Yeah, it's a it's a film that kind of gets under the carpet a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people don't know about it, but it's my one of my the music is beautiful in it. Uh, Jane Seymour's in it. She's a very young Jane Seymour mm-hmm. who I was absolutely in love with. Um, so, Jane Seymour, Christopher Reeve. It's a it's about time travel. And it's about love and time travel. See, I'm not really... My favorite movies aren't horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite movies are the ones that really tug at the heartstrings, right? Um, so Out of Africa is just a fucking beautiful film, especially if you like 1923, if you like that series Travis oh, Sheridan just put out. I love it. Um, you will love Out of Africa because it's basically, he's the hunter and she's mm-hmm. the wow. you know the English girl and they have this beautiful love affair. So it's a really incredible film. The cinematography is absolutely gorgeous. It'll make you want to go to Africa. Um, I think those films are, are kind of the ones that are always in my, one of my favorite films of all time is John Cusack's uh, Serendipity. I think that's hmm. a really weird, crazy film um, about love and being in the right moment at the right time. And and so I, I am kind of a hopeless romantic when it comes to films. Um, of course, everybody loves Godfather and shit, but you know, I mean, it, I think I feel like being Italian, you have to say that. Yeah, I think you do. I mean, <laughs> we, we won't two. put it on the list because we'll just say that, that that's automatic for you. Well, if you're Italian, you hate part three. And yeah, basically a better. Well, a better I think I everyone think, hates I think, part yeah, three. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think you have to be Italian to hate that one. It's like something ran out of money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think there's. I don't know. I think there's great films. I mean, horror film wise, I, I think one of the one of the best films actually is with um it's going to be crazy when i say this one too but Lou Diamond Phillips did a film called The First Power. Um that's a great film about demonic possession. Um and a lot of people don't know about that film. That's mm-hmm. a fucking scary hmm. film and this is where this is an actual look into what disembodied spirits look like. This is a look into what ancient evil looks like, um more so than the exorcist or whatever. That film kind of shows you the transition between body to body and no no film has ever done that. Um so that's a huge film for me. That's why I like Travis Brown. I mean, we can talk about old horror all day long, but yeah. it's the films that kind of stick with you forever. Like Titanic doesn't do it for me. I think it was just fucking over the top terrible. Because you know the history of Titanic. Ain't no one got time for a love affair. We're sinking, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Last thing in my mind is having sex in a cold water, dude. I'm out on that one. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Do, do you watch, do you like scary movies, horror movies? Fuck no. I, I don't I watch any I, scary I, movies. They scare me. I don't like, scare me. I, I, I mean, I'll, I don't mind ones where just, I don't like ones where it's jumping out at you. Yeah. <laughs> I freaking cannot, dude. I, would, I, don't, I don't like the feeling of being scared. So I'm not going to do it to myself. I, I don't know if it was maybe 10 years or so. I was dating a girl who was really into it. I'm like, I'm going to go to one. I, can't, I wish I could think Ooh, of it. No. But all it was was jumping out the whole... dude. The I, grudge. What's that? Probably the grudge. It, it was... I don't know. People moved into a house or something. This is every single one yeah. of them. But it was haunted. I know. Like, what? that's every single one. But like... The jump scare, man. That's an interesting... Dude, uh, that's uh, an interesting dude, I, dude I'm telling you, I was... I was so mad by the end of like God, every, it'd get me every time. Yeah, I'm like, okay, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, and then I would suddenly forget, and then oh, God, yeah, I, probably so insidious. Mad. James Wan is really good at jump scares. I think he's the, M Night Shyamalan is really the one that starts them, and one of the best jump scares of all time is The Sixth Sense. Yeah, and it's when the kids in the hallway, he's like, hey, let me show you where my dad keeps his gun, and he fucking turns Just around, kabam, fucking yeah. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. like the whole puke scene, the like how the ghosts were trying to tell him. I'm, 
That's, that's a good that, movie. Now, I, I, I love Sixth Sense. Yeah, that's a beautiful film about yeah. kind of what we do. We kind of help these guys transition or, or solve a murder. I mean, there's that whole other aspect, too. That's another show. But there's people that are still here that won't leave because they're unsettled, and that's what we believe is happening with Elsa Lemp. I believe Elsa Lemp is, is trying to speak out from the other side and say, hey, I didn't commit suicide. I would have never committed suicide. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what our film is kind of dwelling on right now. Did Thomas have something to do with that? So that's our involvement in Lemp. I think there's some good stuff going on with Lemp right now. I love the pointers. They've always been so supportive of our film. We love their chicken Sunday dinners. <laughs> but I'm kind of surprised to hear you guys are kind of like workout junkies and shit. You don't like fucking horror films. No. <laughs> I've never liked them. Ever. Me, dude. Yeah. I can remember seeing uh, Friday the 13th, like when we went to my cousins lived in Springfield, Illinois, and they, had cable. they actually had cable. We didn't, but they had cable. I remember... Just oh, I'm terrified. Terrified. Is, Hate it. I almost wore my Freddy flannel today too. <laughs> I like dressing up as Freddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you like Halloween? Then? I mean, oh yeah, I do okay, like Halloween. We like Halloween. Yeah, he has yeah. a little party every year. Yeah, we like. But yeah. man, I don't want to be scared. Because I'm, I'm gonna throw punch. You know, right, <laughs> throw punch. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> shit. You're, you're on it. Yeah. Defensive. And it's not. I don't feel like I'm just like a, a scaredy cat. I just like I'm like. It, it's that fight or flight, and it's usually fight, and it's, I don't know. Yeah, so you have a cool building. Are you guys on the building? I do, yeah. So do you know the history of it? Uh, a little bit. Do you want to know? No. Did you look into it? <laughs> Did you look into it? <laughs> Got a couple bodies in this place. <laughs> <laughs> now he's just screwing with us, Ross. Now he's just screwing with us. I'm in here at night a lot by myself. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, not, not anymore. <laughs> I'm going to drive by it as a for sale sign. <laughs> Fuck your pride, we move. <laughs> out of here. I ain't got pride left as a goddamn uh, demon in my room. Like. <laughs> so places people can get a hold of you or see you, I, I highly recommend. I started, like when I was doing research, I, I got on to the, the, uh, the Lost Boys of Hannibal podcast, and it sucks you in. And like a couple of our listeners said on um, when we posted your picture, like I'm obsessed with the that one. So yeah. people can find you on that. Yeah, We're start going into your last season, the fourth yeah. season. Yeah. They is this follow- Boots on the Ground or is that last one? That was third season three. Yeah. Boots on the Ground is a good one. That's when we did everything. This year, mm-hmm. we're, we have a YouTube channel too that we have a couple episodes out. My partner got really busy. He, he actually got this great job and he's teaching people how to drive trucks. I, I did notice that you took what we like to say podcations. We use the word podcations in here. Instead yeah. of vacation, it's a podcast. I saw one of you like, hey, we're back, and it had been quite some time since you'd hit some episodes. Well, I mean, life gets in the way. Yeah, I would believe I would love know. to do this all day long, get paid like Joe Rogan. <laughs> right. Let's smoke some weed. Want to try some <laughs> <laughs> cigar? Must be nice, Joe. Ross and I um, tried that during COVID. It didn't go very well. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, dude. Like, um, so then we stay focused. Yeah, Haunted Garage is also they can yes. find you on Haunted Garage. Yeah, the Haunted Garage on Instagram is best way to follow me. If you want to follow me, um, I I have I think I curate my reel, my story. This is funniest shit. Mm-hmm. I find the funniest shit in reels and I post it on my story, which is kind of why I've gained a lot of traction. And they're both political. They're not political. They're they're just funny people doing stupid shit. Right. I love stupid people doing stupid shit. It's just one of my favorite things. Um. So that's uh, Freeway Frankie. That's one of my racing names. Freeway Frankie. Yeah. Yeah. And then Freeway Frankie and then the Garage of the King with the underscores is Jeremy. He's He posts a lot of him being outside in the winter working on cars. Um, and just, yeah, that's kind of us. And then, of course, the Haunted Garage. You yeah. can just find us on Instagram. And then sh- and then Shift Films. We yeah, have that Shift, also. Shift Films is like we don't we do not do a lot. We don't like inundating people because we have a huge list on that. So we, mm-hmm. don't really, we don't post a lot. We're kind of stuck in distribution hell right now with a bunch of production houses that want to do the Lemp film. But we're still waiting on contracts. So our film has been delayed forever. 
Gotcha. Um, and people are getting pissed, and I get emails every now and then. I'm like, I can refund your money, but you really should hold on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now, and Freeway the, Frankie. Yeah, followed. Freeway Frankie. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's actually Keanu Reeves standing in front of his Chevelle. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and so then, and then also around Halloween, we have the uh, the what do you call it? I'm sorry. Yeah, no, the, the Haunted Garage Horror Festival. Haunted Haunt Garage Horror Festival. Yeah, that's 5th, 6th, and 7th at the... High Point. High Point. Yeah, gotcha. that'll be loud. You can buy tickets right now, too, um, for all the slots and stuff like that. So I would. It's probably going to sell out. Every mm-hmm. year we do, even during COVID, we did really well. We have a lot of fun speakers this year. Uh, we're trying to bring in some directors, too. Might even have a, a teacher from, actually, Columbia University talk about film and, and how to get your shit together and, and get it right. And Because um, a lot of times, there's, I mean, once again, going back to... Um, which is Cody um, when you look at YouTube University it was a funny fucking thing he said but it's true there's a lot of kids that learn how to do film on on YouTube but the thing you didn't learn in school was distribution and having a budget and knowing who to talk to and making sure you're not siving your life away to some company that's going to take your film pay you 12 a great example of that is Tiger King like the production team at Tiger King made $27,000 really where Netflix made millions wow so know what you're doing. Know what you're signing away. Uh, Netflix will take your no. basically take your stuff, and it's really good. And you, like you know, Manhunter, right? Two seasons. Everybody loves that show, right? Eh, we're not going to do it. And now HBO can't buy it. Nothing. So they'll just lock it up. And just, hmm. It just sits there in the universe in the cybersphere. So just be careful, like what you're signing, and get a good entertainment lawyer and just get that shit signed. <laughs> That's why we want to bring those guys in to talk about protecting your shit. You got great content here, like. Mm-hmm. They, they, some production houses are great. They want to work with you, but they're also trying to make money. It's not a charity. Right. And if you don't want it, they're not going to volunteer it. So just <laughs> ask them what you want, see if it's feasible, and then try to meet in the middle. But, like, never sell your brand away, man. Like, ugh. Horror stories. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah, for reals. Well, Frankie, it's been great having you, brother. Yeah, great sorry, I scared you. the shit out of both. Well, of you have no idea. Look, it exists. <laughs> <laughs> found just found that out. Yeah. Anyway, thanks again. We super appreciate it, brother. Um, I look forward to just hearing the rest of that. The lost, the lost boys of Hannibal on yeah, the podcast. It's gonna get it's good. Like, so yeah, we're I'm, we're moving into the last leg of that, and that's the sinkhole. I can't. Which wait. I believe is they're there. Yeah. So. Can't Good deal. This has been the Eat Slay Live podcast. And we are the Locks Executioner. Slay on, brother. Slay on.